Hello, everybody. This is David Dixon Span, along with Dylan Hales, here with the second beta episode of This Week in Wrestling on KateSightSeats.com. Um, yet, because Dylan has been having some computer issues and hasn't been able to exactly get Skype up and running, we're sticking with TalkShoe for the for now. So I figured I'd just keep calling them beta shows in the meantime. So you would understand properly, so everyone would understand that this is not how it's going to sound when we do the proper shows, which will be on Skype and sound much better. And also, some of this is had to do with why we missed a week or two in there, but it seems like it'll all turn out okay, but that's how it is for now. And also, the This Week in Wrestling is because someone set up a talk show, show called This Week in Wrestling after I had last checked, but before we recorded the first show. So I decided, okay, this weekend, wrestling, then. Close, but close enough, but still different, and, you, you know, didn't want to infringe on anyone. So that's that. So, Dylan, how you doing? I'm doing quite well. I'm prepared to talk about wrestling. Yes, wrestling. <laughs> Want to wrestle me Memphis style? <laughs> anyway... A bunch of stuff to talk about. Not even sure what order to go through it in. Uh, just, just first, first off, I guess just because it's relatively quick. Um, update on Randy Savage. Not the official cause of death, but Lanny Papa did an interview with Bright House Sports Network in Florida, saying that he had some type of ventricular fibrillation, a type of heart arrhythmia and pretty much just immediately lost consciousness and get heart attack dead pretty quickly. And Lanny was saying, you know, that he felt it was he felt it was good news because Randy died quickly. Yeah. I, I think that was uh you know, sort of uh in a weird way what, what a lot of people were hoping <laughs> is that uh, you know, he was it was an an immediate type of uh type of deal um obviously still a very sad story but uh you know considering the range of options this is not the worst news that could have could have come out of this right and you know it is worth stressing this is not the official autopsy results though you know those are not due for i guess another what two three weeks yeah it would probably be at least two two weeks i would think yeah pending the histology and toxicology reports um you know you know, like I said on, in the post on the blog, I don't think there's going to be really anything unexpected. You know, I think, you know, on large heart, I don't think we'll see any car, any recent drug use. I doubt it. I mean, there, there's just no reason to. Uh, I mean, you yeah. never know, obviously, but uh, based on what we know about, uh, you know, uh, Savage in his last, last few years, it seems like he had... Uh, cleaned himself up. I mean, you. it's hard to say with any degree of certainty, but he seemed to be living a normal life. Right, and at least, you know, Dave Meltzer had mentioned that the word among the Florida wrestlers was that when he, you know, when he shrunk so much a few years back that the belief was that he had gone to a doctor who said, you need to get off whatever you're on immediately. Yeah. So, you know, it, you know, it looked like he did, and you know, the, if he, you know, 
the damage had, you know, the damage was done, though. I mean, he, like I said on the site, you know, it doesn't, you know, it's not just smaller wrestlers who bulk up, but when you think about the guys who are the similar type guys, it's, it's not pretty. Yeah. yeah. I mean, whether it's that, you know, Eddie Guerrero, Chris Benoit, who probably was on borrowed time, even if, you know, none, none of that happened. Um, yeah, I mean... Pillman, who I didn't actually mention because, uh, although, you know, he did have the steroids and the cocaine and the pills contributing, he did have, you know, the his father's congenital heart problem, too. So he probably would not, even if he lived a clean life, he probably wouldn't have lived that far past middle age. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, that's probably true. But I think, uh, you know, look, Pillman's one of my favorite wrestlers of all time. But, I mean, that's a... Uh, <laughs> that, that's pretty much the uh, worst uh, possible combination of things you can have going for you. Yeah. You know, I'm, yeah. I, and I, 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 I keep coming back to this, but I really think the Savage Death, you know, in, in, in a lot of ways is the most comparable, at least based on what we know so far, to uh, the Chris Candido death. Uh, because, you know, Candido had at least to some degree cleaned himself up. I mean, there are conflicting reports about uh, how things were at the very, very end. But the perception, at least, was that he had cleaned himself up uh, and then was getting another break. Obviously, in Savage's case, he wasn't getting another break, but it did seem that he, things may have cooled with Vince a little bit. Uh, we'll never really know for sure on that. Uh, and it, I think it is possible that maybe he would have been a, a Hall of Fame inductor uh, or somebody inducted into the Hall of Fame in the next year or two. Um, you know, so, and then so, some sort of bizarre... Uh, scenario go, happens and, and, and both guys are, are gone uh, almost immediately. Um, obviously, Candido was nowhere near the star that, that Savage was, but uh, despite the fact that, you know, it wasn't a, a heart issue with Candido, that, those, those are the two, those deaths are, uh, you know, in, in some ways kind of linked in my mind in terms of how, how things went down. Well, the Candido thing's a little weird because we don't have an official cause of that. We never have. Uh, New Jersey law was that I think it was just from the very beginning you would need the family's permission. Um, you know, since Tammy was not his next of kin because they never got legally married and New Jersey's not a common law marriage state. So they, so, you know, I guess his next of kin was his, were his parents. And, you know, they've never let anyone know what the cause of death is. But, as, you know, as best as anyone knows, you know, it was a blood clot from... You know, it's not clear if there was a complication in the in his leg surgery or if it was just the the, the flight home and not yeah. keeping it raised that is that you know that that killed him. And you know, he could have very you know could have very well been more susceptible from you know doing damage to his heart in the past. You know, in these cases, you know, you never know that that you know even if. You know, you know the savage thing, just the weirdness of the car accident, that it was while he was driving. Sure. And that the car accident, you know, didn't cause any more physical trauma, that he he died, you know, as the car, you know, as his wife was swerving the car out of the way. But, you know, that's a, you know, I guess the best possible news you can get is that he died quickly. So, you know, I don't expect anything in, interesting to come out of the autopsy report unless... You know, by some chance, it's, you know, not that I expect this, but unless by some chance, for whatever reason, Lanny either told a different story or whatever, but I don't expect that to be the case. 
Yeah, I'd, I'd find that uh, actually pretty unlikely. Yeah. Uh, Absolutely. So that's that for now. Uh, I guess, you know, mention this now because it's sort of related to Rand- the Randy Savage stuff. Ultimate Warrior and Hulk Hogan. Uh, okay, so, you know, Warrior had posted a very nice tribute to Savage on YouTube. You know, it was, you know, it was like no one had ever seen Warrior before because we were used to him being this complete nut. And, you know, he posted this very touching tribute, which he actually did allude to in, the, in at least one of the Hogan videos because he, start, he starts talking about how Hogan had such a weak handshake compared to Savage. <laughs> Which, in wrestler parlance, at least, is the stronger your handshake, the stiffer you work. The stiffer you work, yeah. And Warrior, I guess, was, you know, with a lot of wrestlers, you know, I would even say maybe most, at least, prefer the uh, weaker handshake. But, you know, Warrior was saying, you know, was using it to say that Savage was a lot that Savage and himself were a lot tougher than Hogan. But a lot more than just handshakes. Let's see. The cocaine allegations we've heard before. Yeah, that's, know, hard that's going back to the you know, the scandals in ninety one, ninety two. I think it was David Schultz who was the main person alleging that there. And I think it I think it was I think it was Schultz that called that said that Hogan had been referred to by some people as the Tampa pipeline. <laughs> as far as being able to get people drugs. Uh, so well, I mean, we should we should note at this point that David Schultz, like, uh, doesn't he doesn't he claim to be like a uh, you know a, a, a secret operative of the uh, government now? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know what? I think I have the Stampede book right here. So. I mean, I'm just I'm just saying. I think uh, not not that I'm above believing that that Hogan would would. Uh, you know, be a facilitator of cocaine. I, I mean, I'm not saying he is, obviously, but I'm not above believing that as a possibility, but it is worth noting that David Schultz is, uh, you know, legitimately insane. He's a damn fine bounty hunter, though. Well, that's true. Uh. <laughs> it, it, it's, it's not the most impossible thing in the world that it could happen as much as you can tell from the letter that he wrote to uh, Heath McCoy, the author of the Stampede book, that he's clearly crazy. <laughs> like, I would not put it past. I would not put it past the government using David Schultz on black ops missions. <laughs> what you would? <laughs> I, I don't. I don't think that's likely. I don't think that's likely. I'm not saying it's likely. I'm just saying it wouldn't. I'm not saying it's. It would be a hundred percent impossible. Well, no. I mean, it wouldn't be 100% impossible, just like it's, you know, I suppose there's a small possibility that Linda McMahon could win her next Senate race. But I I, I don't think it's very... Oh, likely. yeah, that's something we actually didn't put in the, the list of topics to talk about. But well, so we can get to that in a few minutes. But, uh, so yeah, so Warrior... Okay, so that was, you know, that was the allegation that we've heard before. The other thing was that he said Hogan like to uh, loan Linda out when they were married to other yeah. wrestlers. Uh, you know, Hogan quickly denied all this to TMZ. Uh, but the, the Warrior video is actually, it is entertaining. Well, yeah, uh, the Warrior videos are always entertaining. Yeah. They're always but, entertaining. 
And it's interesting. He, in terms of actually, you know, I don't want to get all Meltzer-ish, but he, he's actually a better promo now than he was before because he is cutting a wrestling promo. <laughs> of course he is. Look, this is all about getting attention for himself. I mean, that's what the whole purpose of this shit is. I mean, I think the Savage thing was a legitimate. Uh, I don't. I don't oh yeah, 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 yeah. Boring, But I think he probably. I mean, here's what probably happened. He saw that uh, a lot of that that kind of went viral, and a lot of people uh, uh, seemed to have a lot of favorable things to say about it, and decided, you know, well, hell, I'll, I'll go. I'll milk this for what it's worth, and I'll get some more attention. You know, and and it's really easy to get attention on the internet by shit talking Hulk Hogan. I mean, let's just be honest. Yeah. That's a that's a really easy target. Um, every no one likes the guy, but at, at this point, especially uh, in most places you go around the web, he's not very well liked. So uh, it's a it's an easy way to you know put yourself in uh, in the public public light within the uh, wrestling world at least. Yeah, I think I just love the way he's saying that something so like Terry, because I'm the only wrestler who never fucked your wife or whatever. <laughs> Well, I, I think, man, I, maybe maybe somebody should actually read Linda's book. I don't know. I don't really want to do it. But uh, it, it, it's not it, out for it, another couple of weeks. I should be getting a review copy. Yeah, I've, I've actually got a review copy on the way too. Um, I just, it'd be, it would, I, I suppose it'd be interesting to. Uh, I mean, obviously, I don't think she's going to <laughs> con- confess to uh, having been pimped out by Hulk. Uh, but it, it would be interesting uh, to see if there's anything that could be read between the lines. Yeah, I mean, I don't expect it to be a good book. I think that it could be at least, I think it will probably be somewhat entertaining. Yeah, I'm sure we'll have some some train wreck quality to it. You know, I I can't imagine that it wouldn't. By the way, I did pull up the uh, part of the Stampede book about David Schultz. (laughs) By the late 1980s, Schultz had retired from wrestling, reportedly finding work as a bounty hunter. I established contact with the reclusive ex-wrestler through his friend Bob Bryla, who sits on the screening board of the Professional Wrestling Hall of Fame in Schenectady, New York. Bryla, ex- Bryla explained Schultz is intensely private, not wanting anyone to know even where he lives, and he didn't think the wrestler would do an interview. After much back and forth, Bryla sent me an email passing on a message, supposedly from Dr. D. Quote, Bob, tell Heath if he puts all the questions about me in true-slash-false true form, I will look at them. Let him know I am on a mission over in the Middle East area, and it is top secret. Don't tell him who, what, where, or when. Now, by the way, okay, let's stop for a second. Is he saying, then, that Bob Bryla, in fact, knew the actual details of this secret mission? Yeah, I, I, I think that's implied, yes. Okay, so the, by the way, the Middle East area. I hear that uh, that um, that Bill Watts runs territory there in the Middle East area. Uh, so, okay. the questions were sent off, and a few days later, the answers arrived. Schultz answered true to punching out Bruce Hart, being a loner, and working as a bounty hunter. He answered false to, suge- to the suggestion that he was a hot-tempered sort who frightened fellow wrestlers and tried to attack Mr. T. He also added a question of his own to the list. There are many lies about the great Dr. D. Dr. D in all caps, by the way. True. In a parting message, Schultz called himself, quote, the greatest pro wrestler of all time and claimed that lesser wrestlers like to spread lies about him out of envy. Quote, be very careful what you, of what you hear and what you read, he warned. Was the message really from him? 
It certainly was true to the character he had pieced together from so many sources. Even Dr. D's emails are intimidating. <laughs> He's on the covert op in the Middle East area, folks. Yeah, well, actually, he doesn't say it's for the government. I no, no, no. didn't say he was for the government. Maybe, he put, maybe he's a Blackwater employee. Yeah, I was going to say, Blackwater, Halliburton, something. <laughs> God. Uh. And, you know, he's not, you know, I was going to say something, and I decided it was too legally perilous to make a joke about it. <laughs> okay. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> By the way, if any of you have not read uh, Pain and Passion, The History of Stampede Wrestling by Heath McCoy, I implore you to do so. Yep, great book. Yes, I will probably... You know what? I'll put a link to this in the uh, show description to Amazon, which, if you click it, maybe, perhaps, even, I would get a few percent of the sale, but you can very well choose not to. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so, yeah, the Hogan th- Warrior thing, Warrior promising to release, what is it, a 55-minute video? This was... The video he released was a excerpted from that. Yeah or highlights of whatever. So the uh, Warrior video manifesto about Hogan. Yeah. His, I don't know. Uh, going his, his, his Iron Man match, his Iron Man promo will be out soon. I don't know if he's going to charge money for this uh, or what. Uh, yeah, he probably he doesn't have enough YouTube videos to be able to put up an hour video. I mean, I guess he'd split it, but still. I, I'm curious to see him sustaining an hour of talking. I'm not. You're really, you're really not. Well, you don't think. Why well, you think he just cherry picked everything and he's just I, I, talking about uh, I mean, look, Powerheads it, and stuff for the rest pretty, of the video. By the way, that's, that's 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 not me calling anyone Powerheads for anyone who doesn't get the <laughs> warrior he, telling a uh, Middle Eastern student to put on a towel. He's. I mean, he's. Perver- I'm sure he'll be. You know, perversely. Uh, uh, it'll be perversely entertaining. But I don't want to see a 55 minute warrior promo. Even now, when he's, you know, I mean, have you, have you watched, have you ever watched uh, any of his C-SPAN appearances? You know, at any of those uh, conservative, uh, uh, I mean, I don't want to watch I that just, crap. I just saw the clips of the, 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 you know, the put a towel on your head one. Yeah, I, I don't want to see that. I, 55 minutes, too long, you know. Yeah. Uh, you, uh, look, he'll probably yeah. make some money off it. If, if, if you quit, if, if, if you're saying, you're saying this was probably a, a uh, Paul Heyman clipping a bad yes. ECW match to make it look better. Yeah, this is this is the uh, Sabu Rob Van Dam stretcher match of uh, uh, wrestling shoot promos. Okay, you don't. <laughs> so, so yeah, the Linda McMahon thing. I, I really because it's not it's nothing really new, other than just she's you know hinting at it more strongly that she is going to run next year. Um, yeah. I, well, There's I don't nothing know. nothing new to say, really. I mean, other than that, the last time we were talking about it, Lieberman hadn't announced that he was retiring. I mean, I think I, I think the biggest, uh, the most interesting thing about this is going to be how, you know, what how it relates to WWE content. I mean, I don't, and the reason I say that is because Linda is sort of a, uh, she's a non, she, she's not a serious political uh, figure, and by that I don't just mean uh, that you know she's Linda McMahon. I, I mean she's not really. She's a very nondescript. She's a, she's a Mitt Romney type. You know, you really. Uh, she doesn't have a, a fixed identity. She'll probably there's a very good chance she'll she'll uh, 
you know, shift and, and change any viewpoint she feels is needed to to uh, to get to get a win. If she does run, I don't think she will win. Uh, but uh, I think what's more interesting is how it's going to affect WWE programming because I believe, at least, that in the last uh, several months, WWE programming, while still technically a PG show, has definitely gravitated more in the direction of being open to non-PG elements, whether it be uh, the R-Truth stuff or The Rock actually being able to cut Rock-style promos or uh, even, even the way Tough Enough was done. Uh, it seems clear to me that the company, while still uh, claiming and holding on tightly to the concept of being a, a, a PG, uh, explicitly PG uh, programming uh, entity, is, is willing to sort of coarsen up the image. Not, obviously not as far as it was during the Attitude Era, but uh, also not as explicitly um, PG as it has been in the year or two prior. Uh, so it will be interesting to see what happens uh, if, if, in fact, Linda does run again. Um, because I don't know, uh, I don't know that the PG, the, the really explicitly PG stuff, is something that you can run for a long, long time in this uh, this television environment. I just don't know. If, I don't know that that can go. That you can be that um, that explicitly PG. I know that sort of sounds like a contradiction, but you know, I, I don't know that you can be that that kid centric and that safe with your programming when you're running a show about violence and hatred. Uh, I don't know that you can do that for years and years and years and years and years. I think that's probably why they've shifted a little bit over the last few months. Um, so that I think is the most interesting facet of that story. Yeah, we, you know, I was thinking about you know, obviously different TV landscape the original, you know, boom period. And, you know, I'm trying to figure out, you know, when you think about it, I mean, there are, you know, there are distinct periods. As far as the really super family-oriented, you know, WWF, it was, I'd probably say, what, really 86 to maybe early 91? That sounds about right. I think you can kind of see, you know, a shift really when The Undertaker became a big star, you know. I, I think it started slowly to sort of move in the direction of a more uh, more darker stuff. You know, you got your Jake Roberts' evil man hitting Elizabeth stuff and all that. Uh, yeah. Right, and, you know, it's, you know, it's the start date you can move back and forth on because you had Tuesday Night Titans and then you had, you know, certain stuff on Saturday Night's main event. But, you know, the regular TV didn't really start to take that form as much till, like, I would say till, you know, till the big changeover when they moved the tapings to the arenas and the production got a lot more slick. That you know, before that, it was still a pretty standard, it was pretty close to the older WWF shows pre-expansion. Yeah, oh yeah, that's, I think that's definitely true. So, you know, and then after, you know, then from like 91 to 92 through maybe part of 93, you know, is a more serious, you know, you know, and, you know, a little more, you know, violent, you know, product. And then, you know, and then again, you know, from like, I guess maybe, I don't know if you'd say late 93 as much as maybe during 94 through, I don't know when you put the end, uh, but where they went really to overboard 
You know, I, I guess you could even say, you know, babyface Doink era, just to define it that way. Yeah. Yeah, just everything was just, you know, and then in, you know, 95, they started to, yeah, I guess 94 into part of 95 was when they really overdid it. To the point yeah, of turning absolutely. Off. I mean, I think, to me, the turning point in 95 is probably the the uh, the Brett-Davy Boy match with the huge blood loss. Uh, it kind of felt like they were uh, going in a different direction at that point. That was the big one, but before that even, yeah, you know, the, there, you had the angle on Raw where Brett chases Lawler, and, you know, they bleep it, but he cuts the promo where he says, yep. you're lower than shit. Yeah. Uh, but so stuff like that, they you know they were definitely you know working on that throughout the year, and then you know, you know people do forget that they you know when you say attitude era, I'm never sure what to, what people are necessarily identifying. If do they just mean Rock and Austin? Because I I think that's what most people mean. I mean to be honest with you, so much of that stuff was so bad. Oh God! Look, ninety-nine WWF television is terrible. I mean, it, it's it, it's really it's, awful. It's, it's unwatchable, man. I mean, uh, it's really bad. And but anyway, you know, getting back to what we're saying, you know, they, you know, with different today's TV climate being different, you know, they really, you know, but they weren't, you know, pandering. It, you know, it doesn't it doesn't come off like the show is pandering to you, you know, you know, like Vince doing his laugh and doink and dink and all that. <laughs> You know, it you know it didn't during the recent PG era. It came off like recent WWE just toned down. Yeah, I, I think that's true, but I also think you've got to look at the overall landscape. I mean, you've got um, you know an entire networks like Spike that uh, seem to be dedicated to uh, promoting misogyny and. <laughs> oh, absolutely. <laughs> so I, 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 you know, it's a it's a very very different uh, landscape overall. Wow, wait, WWE signed a wrestler without a belly button to developmental? <laughs> it's oh the new my. Zach Gowan. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, 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 hope I, was, it's, I hope it's not the wrong wrestler without a belly button. <laughs> <laughs> I, was looking at, I was looking at a forum, and I just see that, and I see FCW signs wrestler without belly button. Oh my God. Uh, umbilical hernia, someone saying, you know, born with some of your guts hanging out for the surgery means no vel- no, uh, no belly button. Wow. Okay, so yeah. But anyway, but yeah, he's basically, he's a, you know, sort of lean, jacked up guy with no belly button. Well, so like, I mean. They should have him feud with Iron Sheik. <laughs> I think this is going to, uh, you know, this does for some reason that reminds me of uh, the scene in Beyond the Mat with uh, Vince and Drott and Darren Drott. <laughs> Come on, puke, puke. I, I don't know why that reminds me of that, but it does. God damn it! Show me, show me where you're going. <laughs> That's he's going to be the star of the next season of Tough Enough. Maybe we'll see. <laughs> Wait, what's his name? Wait, I even forgot. Wait, what is this guy's name? If you want to, if anyone wants to look him up, he is. Okay, click on the ring. Nick Rogers. He looks like every wrestler WWE signs to developmental, just without a belly button and maybe a slightly bigger nose. 
he was able to he was able to clear the uh the hurdle of having a big nose. You know, he was really he was able to transcend that by virtue of uh his belly button. So, we should really Maybe that's a big He's a really Jewy looking guy for WWE. Well, you know, I mean, uh they're they're a uh they're a notoriously they're a notoriously um good workplace for uh people of different ethnicities, as Mark Henry can attest to. So Was that an in- attempt at a segue? <laughs> Maybe. Okay. Well um so this was the this was not this pa- was this this past week or the week before, I can't remember. Because oh, God, uh, I don't know. It, I mean, this, this was the, I it was, think it was the week I think before. It was, because yeah, Vince was, was it was Des Moines, and Vince yeah. was uh, unpleased. Right. About okay, the yeah, that's what I thought. It was it was so last week. Well, you know, we're recording this on Saturday night. It'll probably go up Sunday. So yeah. So you know, so call it you know two weeks ago, whatever you want to. SmackDown taping did not draw well at all. I mean, what was it like? Something like four thousand and tarping off like half. Yeah, it was tons of tarped off. There was actually a, 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 somebody I know who was there who uh, said that it was really, really a small crowd. Like one one of the smallest crowds he'd ever been to for a live wrestling event. And I guess you know, presumably this was a Vince thing because it was so you know the way. Well, what happened was. You know, after the, they finished taping SmackDown, dark match main event time. Now, was this was this the match they had advertised with Henry versus whoever? Orton? I don't or? think that was an advertised dark match. No, I, or an advertised main event. No. I, you know, if they advertised, I don't know if I read if they advertised anything. And I well, I gotta t- I gotta say, if that's the main event that they advertised, then no wonder there was only fucking four thousand people in the building. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> like, well, I mean, well, yeah, well, what at this point could they even advertise on SmackDown that would be a dark match draw, you know, the drawing dark match? Something with Randy Orton. I mean, that's it. I mean, that's, 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 well, they haven't been drawing well on the road either. No, that's not surprising. I mean, it's clear. They, they, look, since the draft, it's pretty obvious that uh, SmackDown is, it, look, it's no longer arguable that SmackDown is the clear B-show. Yes, like they, they they're not even trying to. They're not even trying to hide it. It is as I think this is the first time since the brand split where the gap is so large that you can't really conceive of an argument for SmackDown being a one A show. Absolutely. I, yeah. But you know, I wonder if they're going to lose faith in Orton or not. Well, I mean. Or if he's considered, if he's too much of a made guy, that it won't end up hurting him. And he just I, I think I don't think that a raw main eventer, you know, in the next draft. I, I don't think that, um, you know, I don't think there's a lot of reason to believe Vince ever loses faith in those few guys that he latches onto in each run. You know, there, there, it seems to me that once Vince decides that, you know, whatever two or three guys are going to be the era-defining guys, those guys are always sort of uh, the top guys. Always. Oh, we didn't really... even get to what happened. Uh, Henry, Mark Henry comes to the ring. They keep him, <laughs> they play his music through, like, I guess twice. They start playing other wrestlers' music, Cornswoggle, whatever. He's, you know, getting annoyed after, you know, you know, trying to, you know, just, 
you know, draw with the fans and whatever to kill time. And they just keep playing music over and over. Henry, I think, went up to the timekeeper to tell him, you know, to say whoever's in his earpiece, you know, to get up to send the match out or whatever. And eventually they just stop playing music. Say, fans, the show's over. Good night. Thank you for coming. And Henry comes back through the curtain, irate, and just about ready to quit. Well, supposedly he said, he, you know, depending on who you believe, supposedly he said he was going to quit right then. Yeah, and yeah, which I don't. I mean, look, look. This this is important to remember. Mark Mark Henry, you talk about uh, you know people who have sort of worked the system to their favor. Okay, uh, I think everybody would would list Triple H as like the all time work the system to his favor guy. I, Mark Henry has got to be one of the all time work the system to his favor guys. Uh, that wouldn't necessarily be immediately seen in this regard. I mean, I, I'm a fan of Mark Henry. I think he's a pretty good wrestler. I know that's sort of a contentious point. Don't want to really get into it. But I, I do I do think um, that no matter what anybody thinks of Mark Henry, I mean, here's a guy who got a 10-year contract out of the gate. The WWF repeatedly, WWE repeatedly tried to get rid of him over the years, um, various ways, shipping him uh, down to the minors, trying to embarrass him out of the con- company with outrageous gimmicks involving incest, Mae Young, all kinds of other bizarre perversions and weird stuff, uh, hooking up with transvestites on live television, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, he, he hung around. He, he, he hung on to it. Uh, it finally looked like, um, you know, near when his contract was up that maybe the WWE was going to, uh, be rid of him, or could have been rid of him, and then he really put in in 2006 what uh, I think most, even even a lot of people aren't fans of the guy. I think was uh, a pretty darn good year in the ring, uh, and even as a character on SmackDown, uh, promptly got re-signed again, <laughs> and then I think was, was, has had injury problems on offense. <laughs> and he blew out his knee actually. I think not that long after he resigned. That's right. I believe it was within weeks yeah. <laughs> of resigning. You know, and uh, you know, and was he yelling throughout all this? I'm sure he saved his money well. You know, that he's come through all this well-adjusted. That you know, he's still a well-adjusted guy. God bless him. You know, I'm sure he probably could quit and be fine. Yeah, I, I think he's I think he's a really entertaining story, to be honest with you. Just because here's a guy that's had to put up with so much crap um, from the company, he still hangs around and he's still, you know, getting getting paid. Uh, and I, it, it just seems like here's a guy who Vince prob I mean, obviously wanted to get rid of it, or at least it seems as such, many times. Obviously felt that the 10-year, the really unprecedented 10-year deal that he signed originally. Which, by uh, the way, do you remember if they renegotiated the money on that or not? I don't know if they renegotiated the money on that or not, but even presuming that they did, the fact that he had, the fact that he had 10 years... Well, actually, I think one of the most interesting things about that... Here's a guy, I know like, there, uh, either him or Big Show got renegotiated to some degree. But, I mean, look, look at it this way. He signed a 10-year deal, okay? Even if the money got renegotiated, which I have to think it was, but I guess we don't really know. E- even if the money got renegotiated, um, the only guy I can think of that Vince ever signed to a, a, a deal of comp- comparable length was Bret Hart, <laughs> which obviously he reneged. <laughs> well, was the original deal for Big Show ten, close to 10 years, too? 
Uh, I know it was a long deal. I don't remember it being that long, but I, I know it was a very long deal. I'm, try, I'm trying to remember if, I, if, I, if the 10-year, 10, $10 million figure came out for both of them or not. I, I don't like think so. I mean, it could it, maybe. Or was that just Henry? I thought that was just Henry for sure. Okay. Uh, and, and, I mean, that's kind of the point. I mean, is, is that Henry's probably done really well for a guy that's been injured a lot and for a guy that's never really been given a push that is anywhere close to the amount of money he's probably made. Yeah. It's kind of one, it's kind of, one of those Brian Pillman, uh, I'll be the highest paid jobbers in, re- in, in wrestling deals. Uh, quickly, for those who don't know the story, Pillman, you know, Pillman was in WCW when, you know, Bill Watts took over for Kip Allen Fry, who was sort of an interim, who was he, he was just a, was he just some company lawyer guy? I believe so, yeah. Yeah, who actually did a relatively good job. Yeah, TV was good. You know, he he and he had signed Pillman to what something like two hundred twenty-five thousand a year. Yeah, it was a pretty high figure for the time. Yeah, guaranteed and, money. You know, because he was going to be you know the anchor of the light heavyweight division, and uh, you know, and that which was one of you know the things that Kip Fry was big on, and you know he you know he had the whole thing he was pushing you know bonuses for best matches at night, which you know during that period you got. You know, the example that's given nowadays is uh, Mr. Hughes versus Nikita Koloff having a great match at a TV taping. <laughs> and Pil- yeah, but Pillman got signed to good money and eventually, you know, but he was always going to be the guy bridging the gap. But he was basically a, you know, Bish- a Bischoff, I guess you can call him, he had Bischoff's ideas before Bischoff came in. Yep. And, you know, you know, in terms of, you know, he had, you know, light heavyweight division, you know, in cruiserweight division. He tried to sign guys from WWF, all that. Anyway, Watts comes in. His big thing is that, you know, they they want him to cut down the losses. So he's looking at the contracts he thinks, you know, are out of proportion. You know, the, you know, the big famous incidents are with Paul Heyman and Brian Pillman. Paul Heyman... You know, uh, Watts thought he was making too much for a manager. He, you know, in his position, he was. You know, he was the manager of the top heel stable. I guess, but it was. You know, it was heel. It was largely heels who did their own interviews, though. You know, I would say, except for Eaton and maybe I guess Austin was starting to do his own talking at the time. Correct. Yes. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> And Heyman, at least. So, you know, you would say he's not Jim Cornette in terms of the importance to the act. Even though, you know, it was the dangerous alliance. But, you know, the point was more a good manager with the quality of wrestlers that they brought together there. Because, you know, it was Arn Anderson, Larry Zbysko, Steve Austin, Rick Rude, and Bobby Eaton, you know, in one stable. Which, you know, was incredible. And Watts wanted to find a way to fire Heyman. You know, I think Heyman's contract, you know, had him relatively bulletproof. And Watts find some, found some kind of, it was something with his getting reimbursements for some kind of expenses, some kind of expense report. Yeah, I know it's hard to believe, but apparently, apparently Heyman was... Uh... Yeah. 
was was working some sort of scam involving travel or something like that, I believe. I know that's hard to believe because it's yeah. Paul Heyman. But. Yeah, yeah, yes, Paul, yes, Paul Heyman, who I, you know, I get, you know, I guess a lot of people from WWE DVDs know the uh, and Chris Jericho spoke about that he was, you know, he flew a lot of ECW wrestlers out on bereavement fairs. Anyway, uh, you know, he ended up being fired. Pillman was offered a big, you know, either you keep your money and we'll drop you out, or or you take a cut in your money, get a big push. And Pillman said, said as Dylan repeated, that'll be the highest paid job in the history of wrestling. And he was. <laughs> on top of it, yeah. on top of it, he went out and would regularly have really uh, pretty good matches, which I'm sure also pissed off <laughs> and everybody else um, in the company at the time because uh, you know he he would regularly show people up on the undercard. <laughs> now I guess when did he, when went, do we know when exactly that happened? Was that what, right when Watts came in, and that's why Tillman lost the title to? To Raven, I think it was yeah. I think it was pretty soon, pretty pretty much in the immediate. I think yeah. Well, there's no other reason for putting Scotty Flamingo over Pillman. <laughs> no, no, especially because people. I mean, people forget, and I don't want to get too sidetracked here, but people forget Pillman was very, a. And we are getting very sidetracked. Yeah, but I mean, Pillman was a great, great babyface. Yeah. Great. Who W C W always could have gotten more behind, but never did. Yeah. And, you know, he, it, you know, in fairness to Watts, though, he did, he was the one that turned him heel. Yeah, you know, here's the thing. Uh, Pillman was about ten times the babyface as he was a heel. And I know, you know, I, I, I realize that in saying that, a lot of people are like, oh, that's not true. Uh, and I and I love the loose cannon gimmick at the time, um, even though it kind of hits a little bit close to home, <laughs> given how Pillman died and all that stuff. But um, I, I think uh, – I, and the Hollywood Blondes are sort of a, a famous team, I think an overrated team, whatever. Uh, but Pillman as a babyface from 89 uh, up until the turn there, I guess it was the end of 92, was a really – I mean, an unbelievably good babyface. Yeah, and, you know, they in hindsight, you know – they probably should have run with him in main events with Flair instead of Luger while Sting was injured. I I think that's oh yeah. I mean the Luger Flair thing was was really run into the ground. Um, it was a it, they had some great matches. Um, I'm higher on Luger than most people are in general, uh, but that was that was a really overexposed feud. Uh, um, and you know, Dillman was. In fairness, they, it was the taping that they shot the angle at for Luger Flair, where Pillman had the match with Flair, that got the you know which was the highest like the you know, I forget if it was highest rated or most watched because the audience you know because the you know the TBS you know reach had grown so much but I forget it was either highest audience or highest rated or both TBS Saturday Night Show in five years. Yeah. You know which goes back to, you know to the peak of Crockett so. Yeah, they could, in fairness, they couldn't. You know, they had already set them set in motion for the first Luger match. They probably, I guess, I guess it's more that they should have done it. Shouldn't have rematched him with Luger. Yeah, because they had no way of knowing that the Pillman match, that the Pillman Pillman and Flair would get so hot, it is you know, and draw that rating. 
Because, yeah. You know, I mean, Pil- Pillman, that should have been. not really a pushed, that much of a pushed guy yet. No, 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 no. That, that, that should have been Pillman's Clash of Champions 1 springboard, like, like with Sting. Uh, because people forget Sting was not really a hot commodity, um, or not not a overtly hot commodity until after the Clash One match with Flair. Or even really getting small, that much of a push. Yeah, I mean Uber that. Uber was the chosen one. Yep. Sting was a guy who would get shots at Flair, but not. You know, he wasn't really doing much. I mean, look look at how long it, you know it still took them what, a year after that to put the DV title on him. Yeah, and he really didn't do that much throughout the rest of the year after the player match. No, not at all. I mean, it, it's it. I think it showed that he was capable of being a main eventer, um, but I don't think, you know, and I think that that was kind of a litmus test for other guys that other guys failed. I mean. You know, the most famous instance, I think, uh, you know, maybe not as famous with, with newer fans, but it was famous at the time, was the Flair-Scott Steiner Clash of Champions match, when Scott Steiner was really, um, I mean, everybody I went to school with, he was like everybody's favorite wrestler, because he had all these cool offensive moves, and was just really exciting to watch, and they went out and had a match that, that ended sort of at the bell with kind of a... Uh, you know, a, a, a flaky a TV, finish. It was a TV yeah, time, TV limit, time limit match. Exactly. And, uh, you know, it, it should have, in some ways, really springboarded uh, Steiner. But I think the consensus afterward was that Steiner just did not come out looking like a guy who was going to be a huge single star. Um, whereas that cannot be said uh, for for Sting or with Pillman. Pillman, I think, came out of that match really looking like he should have been a huge star, and then he wasn't. <laughs> By the way, they actually, you know, something people forget, I guess, but was in the Cornette Midnight Express book, they actually drew a bigger rating and a bigger audience the next night on WCW main event for Flair and Arn Anderson against the Rock and Roll Express. Yeah. So, I mean, they, you know, which isn't to discount Pillman as much as, you know, they, they, they have a lot of, they had more options. They, than just rehashing Luger. They certainly could have gone with Tillman. I'm not saying they should have gone with Ricky Morton, but they well, had gotten I mean, a hot issue that they could have, you they, know, and it showed that, it showed that, that the whole, just the whole thing of the baby faces getting revenge on Sting was probably going to be good for them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they, they, I don't know that they should have gone with Ricky Morton. Ricky Morton is, I think, one of the greatest wrestlers ever lived, but, um, Well, no, I'm know. just saying because he had only been back for a few weeks. Well, yeah. Not only had he only been back for a few weeks, but also um, uh, the Rock and Roll Express is probably more more viable than Morton was ever going to be in singles yeah. because of perception. Speaking of Mark Henry, uh, <laughs> but you know that that probably gives good perspective on the whole. Probably was worth giving the perspective on the Pillman thing. Yeah. Anyway, uh, so you know, just to finish with the Henry thing, people. One thing that's not talked about enough, it was not stupid for WWE to sign him as this hot athletic prospect. Absolutely not. That He was, I mean, even people who probably would, would uh, not be a fan of his work at all, uh, I think would have been impressed with, you know, his, <laughs> I remember watching him on Saturday mornings doing the, uh, the, the slam dunk uh, <laughs> uh, stuff, uh, and 
I mean, he was he was a very, he's a great athlete. There's no question about it. Yeah, and he you know, and you know, for all the talk, you know, whether it's you know his weight and stuff, you know, now I think he's down to under 400 pounds again. You know, Sports Illustrated profiled him in 1991. If he had at at least at the time of the art, you know, I'm guessing bone density at least is a little you know less now that he's gotten older, but you know, 20 years later, but still. At the time, his bone density and thickness and muscle thickness and everything was such that if he had 0% body fat, he still would have been about 295 pounds. <laughs> yeah, because they talked about he had dropped over like, um, like a 300, I forgot, I don't want to exaggerate, I think it was, I think it was like a 350 pound weight, it was either 35 or 350, <laughs> but he dropped a very heavy weight on his foot that would have broken most people's feet, and he he just had a bruise. You know, he just had just incredible athlete. You know, ran you know, ran, you know, like a NFL combine level forty yard dash. Yeah. You know, could basketball. You know, world class in, you know, powerlifting, weightlifting and world's strongest man stuff. Just an incredible athlete. And, you know, I don't whether it's the injuries, the right opponents, whatever, that he really didn't that it took him several years to put him that together to be a, at least a pretty good wrestler. Because I'd say at least around '03 is when he started to be pretty good. He, you know, he, they were right to have paid, to have paid, to have, well, they weren't patient, but you get my point. <laughs> that they didn't really, I mean, was it, by the way, though, since we talked about the contract, was it guaranteed 10 years? And could they have released him at any point? I mean, I, I am mad. Well, first of all, this is Vince. He doesn't care. So, uh, yeah, he could have released him at any point, I guess. Um, but there may have been – you get the feeling that there was something written into the contract that – had to have been something different. Made a huge monetary – there would have been a huge deal oh, where WWE would have been penalty. screwed if they had released him. I mean, that's, that's kind of the feeling you get. That there was probably some kind of penalty clause. Yeah. So – he didn't quit. Um, WWE, you know, and never mind the whole issue. WWE, you know, pulling this with the fans who bothered to pay to show up. <laughs> the, That's unbelievable. You know, giving them this, you know, just making them sit there for the non-main event. Uh, that's actually the worst part of the story. Yeah. I mean, the, the 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 Mark Henry, the rib on Mark Henry is is pretty classless, given how poorly they've treated this guy over the years. I mean, we and didn't even get into the Michael Hayes stuff, but and it uh, does seem like though that was part of the issue of why he was angry. Yeah, he felt, you know, it's not just that he felt like he was sort of being made to look like an idiot in front of fans, but also it did seem like it was an issue that you know that they were just yeah that they were just you know pissing on everyone. Yeah, well, they were. Yeah. I mean, it was it was Vince being a baby, uh, is my guess, because the, the the show didn't draw well. Well, I mean, if the show doesn't draw well, then you don't go back to Des Moines. God damn it. <laughs> God damn it, I mean, why didn't Des Moines draw? <laughs> I, I just don't. I mean, again, what the hell do they expect? I, I, I mean, to keep this on the current product, I mean, what the hell do they expect? Look, I'm a big fan of of, of uh, modern WWE in the ring. I'm not so such a big fan of the product in terms of angles and storylines. Uh, but if you look at SmackDown, even though they have a lot of guys that that can work and that can go, I mean, 
Aside from people like me who are explicitly watching the shows for the for what goes on from bell to bell, why the hell would you show up? I mean, there's there's no there's nobody there's no real star power on the shows, and uh, even you know there's not even anybody that obviously jumps off the page as a future star on the shows. Yeah, I mean, plus hell, even before the draft, uh, uh you know, I went to. Two of the last three garden shows. You know, I didn't go to the Blizzard show, which was good because I would have been stuck in that station all night. Yeah, but you would have seen Guido ref was his first match for the company. Well, <laughs> anyway, you know, so that it would, you know, they pretty much sold out for the last show, which was a Raw House show, which you know was pretty much the standard lineup that they they've been doing for you know a couple months with you know starting with Orton versus Miz, and then CM Punk runs in, and then they set up Punk and Miz against Orton and Cena. That, you know, and that, that, that drew up, you know, guard, you know it's, it's New York, so guard, you know, Garden, you know, they sold out, or came pretty close. And I, actually, I think, I think it may have even been, like, the biggest gate in the history of, the, of Garden House shows. Wow. So, September, they... It was a SmackDown show, I believe, with some wrong guys on the undercard because they were shorthanded due to injuries. But it was Bret Hart Appreciation Night with Bret wrestling, and they were, you know, the upper decks were noticeably empty still. Uh, yeah. You know, the crowd who was there was very into it. Was into Bret, you know, and you know, it was certainly it was an enjoyable show. The Raw show was much better overall show, but. And the Brett, you know, I don't regret going to the Brett show. The Brett, you know, for the, those who don't know, it was by far Brett's performance, best performance during the comeback last year. And, you know, by far the best of the matches he had. And he even, he even did the second rope elbow, which got by far the biggest pop of the night. And But it was just, it was striking to see, you know, whether it was people, you know, the thing you always hear about people in SmackDown crowds who don't know who certain wrestlers are. Yeah. You know, that was there. You know, one thing I had heard was that, you know, the main event was Undertaker against Kane. I had heard that, and I could, you know, obviously they were playing a little kid there. I had heard that apparently at a decent amount of house shows, they were getting great reactions because the younger audience had never seen Undertaker versus Kane, but <laughs> it was just, it, it was, it didn't seem like they were that into it for this, at this show. Well, I mean, the last SmackDown house show I went to uh, was uh, almost exactly, actually almost exactly although, two years again, ago. I, although, of course, I'm comparing people, there, how many people there versus it's not drawing, but my point is more, you know, they had a big drawing thing there, though, in Brad. Yeah. Which was probably the most pushed thing in the advertising. Oh, I'm sure. I, and, and, well, what I was going to say is two years ago when I, when I saw the, the, the last, I did see, I was at a taping last year, but uh, there was a SmackDown house show here almost, almost to the day two years ago, actually, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, the main event was Jeff Hardy versus CM Punk. Uh, well, that's a pretty big match. I mean, at the time, Jeff Hardy was probably the biggest babyface in the company. And on the undercard, they had a, uh, a Ricky Steamboat match. Actually, Ricky Steamboat wrestled Drew McIntyre in about a 20, 25-minute match. Really good. But the the, the point the way, is... Being, being in uh, Carolina, did they advertise Steamboat at all? Yes. Okay. He was advertised on all the TV. Okay. And and he <laughs> he got a noticeable... 
uh, noticeably large reaction. Pro- probably, with the exception of Jeff Hardy, the biggest reaction of the night. Um, but anyway. But, but the, the point is, that show was probably, I mean, I mean, if you compare that show to what you would get at a house show now for SmackDown, um, you know, that, that show was a, first of all, it was a really good show, but just the advertised stuff, you knew it was Jeff Hardy versus CM Punk in the main event, and you knew Ricky Steamboat was going to wrestle, and it's in the Carolinas. So you had really good reason to go. But if you're in Des Moines, Iowa, even and for Jeff a TV Hardy taping. <laughs> What's that? And Jeff Hardy in the main event in the Carolinas. Yeah, I mean, exactly. Uh, at, at the height of his popularity, you know. Um, I, I really feel like the, just, just those two things alone are easily more than anything SmackDown has to offer, even for their TV tapings now. And how long for TV show draw, anyway? Uh, probably about 5,500, 6,000 people. Mm, what, and about how big was the building? Uh, building is roughly 10,000 seats. I mean, it, it, I would say it was 60, maybe a little, maybe two-thirds percent, two-thirds full. We'll say two-thirds full. Yeah, That's so not bad. Right, not, it's not bad, but Smack, you know, I just think that in general, you know, with SmackDown, you're, you know, you get I that there are fans who are just not going to go to a SmackDown show. That's probably true, but I, but I would say I, I would say well, that except if, except if it was one of the things where they put Cena on the show. I mean, I would say that even if Cena where they would put Punk on it or something. Even if Cena had been advertised, um, or Ray, who was with SmackDown at the time, uh, and I believe is still the draw myself, but. Even if even if either of those guys have been advertised, I doubt they would have done much more business than they did. The point to me is more that in two years, I mean, SmackDown is so more, so much more obviously a B show. Even yep. in 2008, it was a B show, but now it's just so obvious that it is the second level show. That if you're, I mean, it, I, I just Tom can't. Mysterio makes it look worse. Oh, it's awful because he was there. He was there. I mean, him and Ray, him and Undertaker have been their two kind of anchors uh, throughout most of the run. I mean, I know Ray was on Raw briefly a couple of years back, but for the most part, those two guys have been the SmackDown guys. And if you t- when you take you know with Undertaker out and Ray gone, it really I mean they don't have that baby face that makes you want to go go to the to the, to the cards. They just don't have them. And heel-wise, um, they swapped, you know, they lost Punk before the draft even. Yeah. Who had been kind of one of the, who had been one of the anchors at SmackDown for months. Yes. Definitely. So, you know, they were already hurting before the draft. And uh, I think, I, to me, the death blow in the draft was losing Del Rio. Because yeah. he, had, he had sort of become uh, almost a new identity for that show. And... When they when they lost when he goes to Raw, not only was it the death blow for for uh, that show in some ways, but, uh, but boy, for him, did they kill his push? <laughs> yeah, I mean, wow. he, 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 it's he unbelievable. Won the Royal Rumble. Yeah, it's unbelievable. It's uh, it really is unbelievable. I mean, we talk. Everybody knows the WWE D pushes guys. Well, and they've got this it, thing. Uh, now we, I really, with everything that happened, why didn't he get the belt? I mean, what happened? It makes no sense. It, there's no good argument. And what's even more mystifying about that it is the fact... Yes. I mean... Well, not really. They, uh, I mean, 
Well, Which, but what's what's so mystifying to me about it is well, why did they even dra- well why did they even draft? Well, I guess they knew they were going to draft him then, but or it was or they I don't know or they knew because Edge was probably going to be done and wanted I don't know him to win. I don't, I don't think know. I have no. Uh, it, look, it makes no sense. Either I mean, it it makes, it, however you look at it, it makes no sense at all. Del Rio was. You it just it's a it's a it really comes across like a sabotage job. I mean, I, I don't want to make that accusation necessarily, but it does come across. I mean, it comes across like somebody in the company doesn't like the guy because it makes no sense. And, and what's even weirder is they brought him in and immediately gave him a big-time push. I mean, he beat Ray cleanly right away. You know, I, it, there's no reason for them to have cut his balls off to the degree that they have. You know, I mean, it, it makes no sense at all. I think of all the guys that have been de-pushed, his is the most puzzling to me. Um, because he obviously had a, I think, the most consistent uh, connection with the audience out of any of those guys. Oh, and your now Jack Swaggers, your Sheamus, your, even your Evan Bourne, who I like a lot and is definitely over and has been de-pushed on and off four or five times. I don't think anything is egregious as what they've done with Del Rio. Seamus, I mean, you can make an argument for Seamus. I well, mean, I love Seamus. Depending on whether or not you say, I guess, in terms of speed, it's worse with Del Rio. Because it's, you know, it's just, WrestleMania happens, he doesn't win the title, then the draft happens, and then... Yeah. I mean, that's basically, what, that's basically how it goes. I mean, now he's in a, really, a no-win feud with Big Show. Because no matter what happens in this feud... I don't think he comes out looking better. No. Like, I don't, I, don't, I don't think there's any scenario that this feud can be beneficial for him at all. None. Right. No. So, uh, yeah, and, you know, I, I'm kind of surprised how little this has been talked about. Yeah, it, it is kind of odd. I mean, as, as big, I mean, because he was clearly, an, a, you know, an Internet favorite and a, a favorite, really, not just even of the Internet. I mean, I think he was a favorite with a lot of people. Um, and, you know, I think the perception was even if he got drafted to Raw, it could only be good for him. I think a lot of people figured when Del Rio got drafted to Raw, they'd throw him into a few Bacina, and even if he lost the few Bacina, it would be good with him, for him because he'd be working with the company's ace. But then our, our truth push started, and now Del Rio is doing whatever. <laughs> And Which I love the our truth push. Don't get me wrong, yeah. but uh, what else do we have? Uh, tough enough. I don't really have anything to say about. I mean, I mean, I, I guess you, you, you. I mean, and you got really anything to say? I mean, well, I mean, a couple very brief things. I guess. I mean, I think the the one thing is. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I enjoyed the, the series. I, I watched every episode, but I think it is another case, like with The Rock, where uh, having Austin around kind of exposes everybody else. Yeah. Um, he's just so much more interesting and charismatic than almost anybody else they've got, except for guys like Del Rio, who's nuts they've cut off. So, I, you know, it's, it, from that perspective, it was, uh, I really enjoyed the TV uh, I don't see how it helps the overall product. I don't think anybody that was on the show is anybody that is ever going to be a big star in the company. Uh, and I think the the 
end of it, uh, the end of the show with, you know, the sort of emasculation of this guy who I think it came across like Vince really didn't think that guy should have won. <laughs> but, uh, you know. But they choose the winner. and I mean, obviously they do. I mean, and, 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 and you know. And it would have made sense if they did it to, to Luke. Yeah. I, I, it was it was a really weird ending, even by the standard. I mean, the whole the whole last episode was the worst episode, at, which is never good. Well, uh, the live stuff is going to do that, and it was shot so much later. I mean, well, I mean, everything from the Bill Demott stuff not even be, being real matches, and then just like clips with weird, not really fitting music going <laughs> going over the footage uh, to. Uh, the bizarre ending, which, I mean, look, everybody who's complaining about it ending with an Austin Stunner, you're being stupid. It was always going to end that way, period. I mean, anybody who thinks the ending of this was going to be anything other than Austin Stunning the winner has lost their fucking mind. They haven't been watching WWF TV for the last 10 years. Any time he shows up, that's how it ends, period. Um, so that part, you know, whatever. The, the, the Vince thing was really weird. One of the weirder things I can remember happening on, you know, a recent WWE TV show and was followed up by, you know, the arguably even weirder moment of Archer's coming out in Confederate regalia and seceding from the WWE. <laughs> well, he's certainly a better wrestler than Corey Williams as far as black guys in Confederate uniforms go. <laughs> uh, I mean, no, I... I I really liked that. I thought that was actually pretty cool, a pretty neat segment, but it was kind of odd. <laughs> yeah. There are going to be exactly. There are probably going to be two people listening to this, who may be listening to this, who know who Corey Williams is, and I know exactly. <laughs> should I explain who Corey Williams? Is? <laughs> or should we? Uh, can, can you do it succinctly? I, I don't know. In okay, in Nashville, you know, in you know, Music City Wrestling slash NWA Worldwide, Burt Prentice's promotion. I'm, dear God, I'm not going to explain who Burt Prentice is. But you know, I have the time. Uh, they had a team back late '90s, early last decade, called the New South. Two guys in Confederate uniforms: Corey Williams, who we mentioned, who was a black guy, and Ashley Hudson, who was an Australian white guy. An Australian guy, and they, that was their gimmick. And Corey Williams, people might remember from for from his sort of run in WCW as Ozzy. And you know, both guys did do jobs on TV a little bit, you know, on Worldwide and Saturday Night. But Ozzy, being the guy from the uh, angle where Crowbar was in love with Daphne but Daphne was in love with Ozzy, who looked like Crowbar. Oh, God. <laughs> what, you didn't remember it? No, I, I do. I, I did remember it. Okay. Which, um, which you know, I guess, I guess the best comparison is that episode of Friends, the one that I think Meltzer mentioned when it happened, with Ross and Ross. But they should have found a name that sounded more like Crowbar and Ozzy. <laughs> maybe, they could, maybe they could have made an inside joke, and they could have called him uh, like Crowbar. Crowbar. Let, me, 
Patino, let, let me tell you, hit. someone I don't know. Let me let me tell you, the last finish. thing that era of WCW needed was more inside jokes that nobody got. <laughs> oh come on, it would maybe it would because then it gets at least more surreal, and that maybe would have made it more watchable. <laughs> that that's dangerously close to Rousseauian thinking, and I don't mean the oh. philosopher. <laughs> watchable, not good. <laughs> no, because uh, no, just. Uh, no, because if you're gonna steal the steal an idea, if we steal the idea. Part of the joke is that their names are 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 a vowel off. Maybe they, he could have been Crawbar. Oh God! <laughs> or he could have been Crybar. Oh man! Tire iron. No, I was just I was, you beat me to it. Yeah, you beat you beat me to the bad joke. So. Of course, tire there. No, they couldn't do that though because they actually did have Iron Anderson. Was that when Arn Anderson was using a tire iron on people, or was that before that? that ooh, I don't know. That's a good question. I, all that that all that high quality uh, stuff from WCW. That might that not have been really a Russo thing, though, because I'm not. I don't remember if that was a Russo thing or not. That might have been a Kevin Nash thing. Well, again, all that high quality. Well, Nash is at least better than Russo. Well, I mean, okay, yeah. Yeah, I mean, and yeah. At least had the triad versus the horsemen versus the flock. Yeah, I mean, look, there was some decent stuff under Nash. Um, much, much less than you well, know oh, well, there should have been given the talent. But I don't think there was anything I liked during the Nash period on the well on Nitro and Thunder at least, other than the tag title stuff. Um, this was when this was when Mysterio was unmasked and yeah, and very annoying. Yeah, uh, I mean it was all. I mean again, all that crap runs together for me. I don't. I can't even remember when the Russo era begins. It really. I mean, I could if I was watching the stuff, but if I was watching the stuff, I would not want to live. So <laughs> the thing I can never remember is if the Russo stuff, if he actually started with Halloween Havoc or a Nitro, or the Nitro before it. It started with the Nitro, didn't it? Didn't cause, I can't didn't, remember because I remember Halloween Havoc being like very out of nowhere. I thought it started with the Nitro, but I could it be might wrong. Be, it might have been the week before. I can't remember if it started with the Nitro, where they have the New York Evening Gown match. Oh, my God. And, like, the, and you know, the Bagwell. Did you like the job I did? You know what? Match. Looking back looking back at all that stuff, and, I mean, I know other people have theorized this before, and I'm not really theorizing this, but I think there's a greater chance that Vince, Vince Russo was deliberately sent there to destroy WCW than there is that David Schultz is actually a secret operative for the federal government. Like, oh, absolutely. Like, like, <laughs> well, look, you know look. what? I mean, I remember I was talking to a friend, our friend, Loss, who, I, and, you know, he may have posted this on his forum, too, that there... There are enough stories in wrestling history that it's not that hard to believe in all of them. No. <laughs> no. You know, there's Bill Watts paying off, you know, uh, Grizzly Smith because he was, was doing a book, bad job book, booking his competition, the Calkins, when they split from... Oh, yeah, the Mississippi off. thing, right? Yeah. Yeah, they yeah they were... They, I think they had been his promoters. They split off, or they were, and then they were promoting an opposition, and Grizzly Smith, I think, jumped to be Booker. And he and he was so bad that Watts paid him to stay there. So, yeah. You know, there's precedent 
there's speculation about, you know, when the Georgia war went down, whether or not Tom Renesto, who was booking the opposition promotion, got paid off by the NWA promotion. Yeah, I think there's think more that. than speculation. Well, there's, I guess there's not more than speculation there. But if you talk to guys down here in the South, everybody seems to believe that's true. Okay. Because I've heard in, I've heard enough on both sides. That I mean, well, I I'm not I won't I won't say who, and I'm not uh, going to try and present myself as being highly connected or anything. But I've I've heard it from somebody's mouth uh, for, who, who very well might know that that's true. So. Okay. So so I mean, you got at least you know, two. You got one confirmed example. One example that. It's not true. Is something that is widely believed and somewhere between widely believed and somewhat likely. Yeah. So it's it's not beyond the realm of possibility at all. No, I I I mean it's just the TV was just so bad. Like it, and not bad in the man this is poorly booked way, but bad in the this comes across as being intentionally awful way. Okay, like, well, food, food, well, go ahead. I mean, I, I just, I mean, I remember watching, um, you know, because the Nash stuff wasn't good, but I, you, it, was it went from it went from not good to being not watchable very, very quick, like immediately. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, there are stories of people who are longtime wrestling fans. I mean, including people that I I know and have talked to for years, who uh, literally turned off halfway into the first Nitro and never went back. <laughs> you know, like, that was it. That, 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 that was the last WCW show they ever watched, or at least ever tried to seriously watch. They may have had it on for, like, a few minutes here or there, but I, um, I, I don't think... I don't think those shows are defendable on any level, and I guess that's really my point. I mean, no matter how bad a lot of things have gotten over the years... Uh, you know, with the exception of current TNA, uh, I, I think almost everything could could be defendable in some weird way, uh, with the that being the lone exception. That is the one exception of a time period in wrestling for a major company where I don't think the TV can be defended at at all, on any level. Oh no. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm just thinking. Uh, yeah, I guess I. I don't know, because, I mean, there is enough, the Russo story is completely, uh, you know, then again, I don't know, you can say Russo's story is believable, you know, because everything he says very much matches, you know, he could very well be telling the truth about the things Vince said to him. Yeah. Now, that said, okay, let's say it's, let's say if this story was, was, if this theory was true. Is it Vince's? Is it well? They're both Vince. Is it McMahon's idea? Well, I mean, um, again, we're we're getting into uh, Brian Alvarez slash coast to coast level talk here. Um, but <laughs> I, I don't, you know, I don't. Uh, I look. Let's be honest. I, does anybody anybody okay, really put that past what? Vince? Okay. Would I anybody guess. put a pass fence? I mean, no. look at the stamp, look at the stampede story, which we talked about last time. But well, <laughs> not as like, much is it his. No, it's not as much that I put a pass as, as, as if who specifically would have come with, up with the idea. You know what? Uh, okay, how about this? What if it, 
if it happened, okay, I figured, okay, what about Jim Ross? Maybe. Okay. I mean, Jim we're, Ross we're looking was now. Guy. We're, we're no, I'm just saying because he was a guy who was Watts' protege, who, you know, we just talked about, you know, is a case where we know for absolute fact that it happened. And... Okay, so what we're saying here like is Russo. Russo is Lee Harvey Oswald, so what we're looking for is the people behind Lee Harvey Oswald. Yeah. Hell, you know, maybe, yeah, maybe they convinced Ru- you know, you know what, maybe, maybe the hell, maybe they engineered a scenario. If it, maybe, maybe, maybe they didn't pay Russo to jump. You know, maybe it, you know, they, you know, maybe, or they capitalized on knowing Russo wasn't happy once they added SmackDown without giving him a raise. Well, I think that, I actually think that's uh, very likely, just as I think it is, you know, what, it, with the Bret Hart screw job, I've always sort of believed that um, Vince knew and kind of had a casual idea that he was going to do the Mr. McMahon character and utilize that as, as the springboard for that. You know, uh, you know. Oh, I'm not well, saying that's why he screwed Brett, but I'm sa- I'm saying that that was I've oh, always well, we sort of believed. Well, we know he had the idea for that character, whether it's the stories that you know with Ted DiBiase being told that the Million Dollar Man character is the character Vince would play. Yeah, stuff he did in Memphis, the stuff Vince did from in Memphis in '93. So, uh, but you have to remember, right after the screw job, he was trying to babyface himself on TV. Um. I would agree. You know, you know what? I people say that that's the popular perception. I never saw those vignettes that way. I always thought they were they they you know to me they always came across. Now maybe he was trying to do that, but to me they always came across as oh this guy's a huge heel. Well, like, he absolutely like, came across terribly, but his intention. But I mean, after I believe, I think I remember. This, I'm not hundred percent sure. But I could have sworn that at some point Meltzer or someone else said that the that at the point they did the interview that if Vince had had a black eye originally that it had faded enough that they did put the makeup on. Oh, I'm sure that's true. So how I, I'm, sure, I'm sure that's true. Yeah. But I, I my my point is I think. Vince had already sort of decided that that was maybe something that was going to be that that was going to get going, you know, maybe not to the extent that that. Well, uh, absolutely, because they had already had Austin stun him as the peak of the Austin stunning non. Well, they all, and they'd done the the pull apart with Brett at the announce table where you know. Right. I mean, yeah. so I mean, there was already I think an idea that Vince was going to be way more involved in the product. And I think may probably as maybe not an expl- maybe not an overly heel character, but maybe as like a tweener type guy. Um, and I I think that that, that you know Vince kind of used uh, the reality of the situation with Brett as a way to sort of springboard that scenario. I've always sort of believed that, which is what to get back to the point. That's kind of why I I think it uh, is not out of the realm of possibility that you know he might have said, well, you know, Russo isn't very good without a filter and. Uh, I don't have a problem with him leaving. He's disgruntled. He'll jump ship. So whatever, you know, <laughs> it'll. Uh, it's not. It's certainly not going to help our competition. The one thing I'm kind of curious about is okay. We know that you can tell by the TV and how we did Nitro and all that 
that he clearly got more control of how the TV was laid out in 99. Oh, God. Yes. Maybe the end of 98. And, you know, and, you know, actual booking decisions and stuff. What, you know, how much was Vince McMahon, you know, was he do, involving himself in other stuff? Who knows? But uh, yeah, I'm kind of curious how that happened because, you know, so much stuff happened that is clearly Russo's idea of Russo, Russo detail stuff, if you can call it that for a guy who is not good with detail. And, you know, because, you know, the thing is, you know, it's ironic that, you know, the story is, J.J. Dillon is the guy who was the intermediary to get Russo into WCW. Yep. Because it was the, uh, I think it was Russo had Ed Cohn call J.J. Dillon, might have been someone else in WWE. WWE, I forget who it might, have, but Ed Cohn is for whatever reason, you know, from the arena booking division. It's the person I remember. And Russo had told Dylan that it was just him and Ferraro who were really actively booking TVs, and that Vince had stopped. On one hand, you know, Dylan's thoughts were, well, obviously that wasn't what it was like when I was there, and I know Vince, but I've been gone for a few years, so things could have changed. You know, and you know everyone talks about now the filter stuff, but the that WWF stuff was pretty close to as bad as he got more control, or at least appeared to, was close to as bad as the WCW stuff. Well, I don't know if it was quite. Well, maybe actually. Well, now I think about it. I mean, someone obviously was filtering him at least a little bit in WWF, but there's enough stuff that so completely awful there. Well, I think the biggest difference is Russo... Um, I, I, to me, the biggest difference, and I think this is borne out by Russo's books, is Russo is a horrible judge of talent, okay? Whatever well, you want to say about the guys that he had in, w, in WWF, you had The Rock there, you had Austin there, you had Foley, you had guys that were extremely talented that could make almost any degree of shit work to some level, and their um, stuff was not the most mismanaged. Was not no, uh, definitely not. Definitely not. But, I mean, Russo is a guy who thinks, you know, three of the most talented guys in the history of pro wrestling are the Harris brothers and Disco Inferno, literally. Like, he literally believes that. Um, that's one I've I, never heard. Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, he, he, that's a, in his most recent book, he, he actually says that at one point. Um, I, you've got, I mean... If a guy thinks that the Harris brothers and Disco Inferno are some of the misused and most talented guys in wrestling, I think that tells you a lot about why Vince Russo is so awful. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. There are a lot of different people who like a lot of different things in wrestling. I don't know that you could find anybody else on earth who would agree with that. I'm serious. I don't, I don't know that you could find anybody on the planet Earth who agrees that the Harris Brothers and Disco Inferno are three of the most underutilized, best, most talented guys in wrestling. I'm sure there are some people on Stormfront that agree with the Harris Brothers. <laughs> it's all going to be notable because uh, Russo goes out of his way in that, in that book to talk about how uh, he's not a racist and the uh, uh, pinata on the pole stuff was misunderstood and the tequila bottle stuff was misunderstood. That wasn't his point. And then, you know, talks about how much he loves the Harris Brothers. Okay, wait, excuse me for a second. For some reason, I'm having battery issues on my phone, so let me go in 
not the other room. I apologize to everyone, and maybe I'll try to edit this out. Okay, there. Am I still? On? I think you. I think you should. I think you should leave that in. That could, I mean that could have been that could have been uh, a David Schultz uh, covert op deal because you know he he may be in bed with the Harris boys. They're all. They've all. <laughs> they've, they've, well, they've all sort of got that you know. Uh, Militia-esque uh, feel to them, <laughs> to one degree or another. Where were? <laughs> um, okay, I don't even know. How did we get on Russo? Jesus. It, well, I mean, it, I don't even what the oh, what the hell were we talking about? The, I, I, who the hell knows? I, I t- tough, tough, tough enough. Tough enough. Led to our truth. Led to uh, uh, New South. Led to Russo somehow. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Dear God. Okay. Um, okay. I'm trying to figure. Okay, we still have a decent amount of time, but I'm trying to, you know, because big stories. Okay. Because I know you're gonna have a little bit of perspective on this. Okay, Flair, who was, by the way, because I, everyone who hasn't, you know, because um, you know, there was there's a good blog post on the, you know, on the site about uh this interview, but that uh, Mike, whose last name I'm not going to try to pronounce out of respect from high spots, did, did a podcast interview. Uh, well, the guy who hosted, I think, said Bikikio, and Mike said that's the closest anyone's ever gotten it. So, uh, anyway, you know, so, you know, short version, high spots, had been working with Flair, blah, blah, blah. They loaned him money. He, You know, he didn't pay it back. They settled, I guess, a month and a half ago. Flair didn't, you know, pay the money and give the sign the autograph pictures or whatever it was in time. And so Flair, now it was reported, Meltzer or whoever at first, that Flair, you know, was in contempt and would be arrested if he didn't comply with the terms of the settlement or by uh, June 29th. It's not that's not the case. Uh, according to Mike, Flair is actually arrest. He's actually under arrest, but it, the arrest has been stayed until the 29th. And this part I didn't know. If you know, we knew if Flair doesn't comply with the settlement, that he goes to jail for 90 days. If he still doesn't pay after that, he has another 30 days. And then if he doesn't pay then, he goes to jail for 90 days, and the clock just keeps restarting. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I mean, he's you know, it's already been, you know, a few weeks, you know, since at least well, the first time. And now Mike, you know, we got the interview with more details, and but he hasn't done it yet, and... Well, you go ahead. Well, I think I think I think the most notable uh, thing in that interview with the guy from High Spots yeah. is uh, he claims that the alimony issue is an overstated issue. Oh, yes, yeah. yeah, I thought that it was interesting. That that it, that Flair actually has more resources and more funds than people claim, and that alimony basically has been used as a cover uh, to cut, yeah to, to basically allow Flair to get away with not paying his debts. At all, um, which let's be honest, that's I, I think you know maybe probable that that's been used as a cover. Yeah. Um, uh, but you know, 
there is, I mean, obviously this is a really sad and pathetic story all the way around. Um, and I think it's sad and pathetic for a lot of reasons. Uh, but realistically, I mean, some of the weirder, um, some of the weirder flair behavior in the last few years, uh, I think really, it's it's sort of it sort of ends the notion of uh, Flair being the uh, this iconic wrestler's wrestler. I mean, I, I guess I guess he is in a way still, but I, I have a feeling that um, he's not. I mean, it's beyond not being respected because he was in the ring for too long, which I think is how a lot of people were sort of, sort of starting to feel. He's not younger Rick Flair anymore. Yeah, I mean, now he's just a pathetic old guy who who doesn't. Uh, doesn't can't take care of himself at all. I mean that that's kind of how it comes across, you know. And uh you know, there's a lot and also not not to uh not to uh, impugn this guy from high spots, but uh the fact that he says he would consider working with Flair again, I think is really the point. I mean, Flair gets away with this crap because people nobody will shut him off. Everybody will, you know, oh, he's Ric Flair, so we'll we'll keep going back to him. Uh, I mean, Greg Price, uh, I think, uh, is one of the few guys who has sort of kind of said no to yeah. Flair. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think everybody else has sort of just constantly made excuses. They may stand up to him a little while, and then they just back down and let him do pull his usual crap. Uh, and and then you have another situation like this over and over and over again. I don't well, know. You, you, may, you may want to say who Greg Price is. I don't. I, I What's Greg? Greg Price, who promotes the uh, annual Legend Fan Fest conventions in Charlotte. Uh, anyway, the, uh, now did you listen to the whole interview or just read the blog post? I listened to part of it, but not the whole thing. Okay. What did you think of Mike's explanation for giving the loan in the first place? Which is that he ne- he's saying he's never expected to, Slayer to actually pay him back the money. But figured that Flair, that given their relationship at the time, since he was in Flair's inner circle and he was working as intermediary for various wrestling appearances, that he figured Flair would have no problem working it off in terms into it by doing appearances. I think that um, I, I well I I believe I believe him. I mean I'm sure that was I, look that's probably true. And again, that's kind of the point, right? I mean yeah, I mean you know, I believe that it. The way he lays it out, which makes enough sense, and I do not, you know, you can say, well, he still loaned money to Ric Flair, yes. I think he, the interview makes him come off more savvy than he than this whole situation made him. Oh, sure. I, I'm sure, look, the guys, uh, look, I mean, the high spot guys are very savvy people. I, yeah, I, they are. And this, that's you know, not but even. Just the, the idea of the loan in and of itself. You know, did not make him look good because of no. Rick Flair. No, I, and, and I think. Well, what I was, what I was going to say is, I think. Um, I, I anybody who loans money to Flair is going to come off looking like a chump at this point. But yeah. I mean, he clearly had. I, I think he assumed that you know Flair would, like he said, work work it off by making appearances and do signings and whatnot. Um, and I think. I think maybe it was sort of an erroneous assumption that Flair's 
um, wanting to hold on to the limelight and being a glory whore could be used to his advantage monetarily. What he didn't account for is that Flair, in my view, um, and look, I think Ric Flair is one of the greatest wrestlers of all time, but uh, I think Flair, in my view, he's less interested in being a glory whore and more interested in being a party animal. So, you know, I mean, if you... you know, who is one of Flair's best friends, uh, you know, outright said that wrestling appealed to Flair because he could keep on being like he was as a high school jock and party and drink, you know, and sleep around and stuff. Yeah, I mean, and that's not Meltzer. I mean, look, even people who I know who are are close to Flair uh, will tell you that Rick is Rick, and he's going to do what he wants to do, and he's decided to live his life. Flair will say that. I mean, in the in the Savage obituary, uh, which is excellent that, that Dave Meltzer wrote, Wrestling Observer, uh, you know, Flair's quoted basically as saying, um, and I don't have the exact quote in front of me, but the the quote was simply that uh, Randy didn't live for the moment. He saved his money. He didn't. You you know, you can't take your money with you when you die. Um, so you you know, you need to live for the moment and, and live it up. And that, uh, that's sort of Flair's philosophy on life, I guess. You know, he's going to die, and he doesn't yeah, eventually. And uh, he, I guess, wants to make sure he has nothing to pass on to his children. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I don't know. I guess that's how you read that. Yeah, now, I mean, I just don't – the one thing, you know, that you got to think about is that why didn't he just – say he was prepaying for appearance. Why didn't he just frame it as that with Flair, that he was prepaying for appearances or whatever? Maybe he maybe he wanted to give Flair the option of paying him back. I mean, I don't know. I Like, it, it, it's... Did he, you know, maybe and, and he to wanted fair, to make it, or make Flair seem, or make it seem to Flair like he had the expectation that Flair would pay him back? I guess. I mean, to be to be fair, Flair did do the the Flair Piper thing after his you know uh, you know right, and seven thousand this long shoot interview he did and did he ask close you know and didn't you know and that wasn't considered close to fifty thousand dollars off the debt which was the asking price of the original interview. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, the point is, he did do something else that was not really part of the initial the initial shoot interview deal. Which, if people remember, was a huge deal. $100,000. Yeah, I mean, and, well, not just that, but it was a huge deal in terms of people bidding over it. Uh-huh. And, and well, I mean, it was a... Yeah, I guess you know this better than me. How much bidding was there going on? Because There was a ton of bidding going on. I, I, I know that for a fact uh, that there were uh, multiple parties uh, in, in, in involved in trying to get in on that deal. In fact, I, I was told uh, that there was a, uh, a kind of an unaffiliated uh, non-entity in the realm of wrestling shoots who who was interested in doing doing something with Flair and was willing to put up money. And then just, what, willing to license it out or something like that? Yes, yeah. Because, you know, because I was thinking, at least in terms of the people you would associate with doing wrestling shoot interview DVDs, High spots is the only one I could really see being able to put up, you know, at least the fifty thousand, and they ended up made paying putting a hundred thousand to also get discounted appearances. But 
I mean, I couldn't, you know, RF definitely had lost financial status over the years. Yeah. Ring of Honor stopped doing shoot interviews by that point. Uh, I mean, I, in terms of who actually, you know, I guess Big Vision was still around at that point, so that's one. Yeah. But, I mean, are you, are you at liberty to, or is this something you'll have to tell me privately who was actually bidding? Well, I mean, I don't, I don't, uh, I, I don't, liberty to discuss yeah, right now. I mean, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, disclose any of the the two or three legitimate sources I have. No, <laughs> but, but I, I think, um, yeah, oh. I mean, the point is, the point is, and even Meltzer, I believe at the time reported there was multiple people bidding. There was, so, big, yeah, I mean, I just... I, I, you know, it's, I, I it's was one of them, by the way. I, I mean, I, I, I'm pretty sure they were in at least as an initial attempt. If they were in on an attempt, it probably would have been in with someone else because I know they have done stuff in concert with high spots in the past. Yeah. Uh, you know, I then I apologize for putting you on the spot for a second there, but it's just because I was when I was thinking about this because you know writing some of that Flair stuff recently, I really honestly. Don't you know? I just couldn't picture anyone else at the time really being able to bid. I remember at first, even you know, a lot of people weren't even sure that even high spots really would put up the mo- would put up the money. At least you know. Well, it seemed like in an insane amount. People who knew a lot of. I mean, it seemed like an insane amount for a shoot. Oh yeah. I, well, because it is. <laughs> and you know, I don't know if they made it made it back. I can't imagine for a second that they made it back. Because it was 25 for the three-disc set and I think 30 for the four-disc set. Yeah. I just can't imagine that they made that money back. I don't know how. I mean, even if even if they sold an unprecedented number, which I never got the impression that they did, by the way. But e- even if they did... Yeah, I don't I know. Just, or, you know, how much of... You know, they couldn't. Maybe they did decent, decent business wholesaling it to... Uh, RF and maybe ROH. I don't know if ROH sold it or not, but I mean, know, they the probably wholesaled it to a couple people. That did. I mean, if you if you look at if you look at wrestling shoots over the last several years, especially, it's been declining. It's not only has it been declining, but it's the niche stuff that seems to have an audience. You know, the kayfabe commentary stuff, uh, the guest booker stuff. I mean, that seems to be the stuff that people talk about when they talk about shoots. Are you know. You know, yeah, PG thirteen or Brickhouse Brown. I'm not really talking about RF stuff anymore. No. Uh, yeah. So now, do you think Flair is going to pay by by the the due date? Um. Uh, I honestly don't know. I I don't either. I think the fact that we have to think about this is pretty telling. Yeah. <laughs> I I don't. I mean, honestly, if you ask me. If you told me, uh, you know, Dylan, you have no other choice, you've got to pick uh, yes or no, I would say yes, just because I I think he, I cannot imagine him being put in a situation where he had to go to jail. Um, I think, I I actually believe, to me, this is kind of one of those deals where I, you get the feeling that if he won't pay it, some money Mark will, Um, but... I wouldn't be surprised if he didn't. That's, yeah, that's basically how I feel then. Um, so that's that. Um, yeah, one thing actually, I almost kind of feel bad for putting it off till this late in the show. 
the Nobutaku Hirai Super aka Super Hate uh situation in Japan. Uh for those not familiar, you know, there are a couple of posts on it on KC that uh, Keith did. Uh all Japan wrestler, veteran, always kind of a lower card guy. Apparently various other veterans thought he was not behaving like a veteran. Uh one of the wrestlers, Taru, beat the hell out of him in the locker room as other wrestlers watched. Uh you know, he get then he got, you know was it in that match that night that he took the chair shot to the head too? I believe it was. Yeah, he took the hard way, uh uh blood hard way from a chair shot. I think it was that and the same night of the Taru beating, I think. Yeah, and then again against Kenzo Suzuki and he had a stroke. Apparently he was just I mean it should be was, it should be noted that Suzuki was you know, like vomiting blood or and like just having horrible things were going on with his body. And he's not been responsive since their brain surgery that they did to release pressure and stuff and let's see, okay, so what's the fallout we've had? You know, Keiji Muto resigned as president of all Japan. We'll still be wrestling it on the board of directors. Don't know if that really means anything changes as far as that goes. Doubt um, it. Who's the suspended list? Uh, I think Minoru Tanaka was was, was one. Yes. Uh, uh, Taru, obviously. Ta- Taru didn't he didn't he voluntarily leave? As he left the co- just left the company. I'm not. Yeah. Uh, let me check. Actually, wait. Did I already have this open? No, I closed it. Okay. Uh, uh, I can't remember. I mean, I know they they broke up the voodoo murders. Um, just yeah, they completely broke up the stable they were in, which has been the top heel, you know. Which is kind of kind of a big deal uh, because that's sort of like a, a, a big thing in all Japan. You know, I mean, that's kind of a what what all Japan has been. Uh, yeah, they've been you know anchoring the company for you know last years. Yeah, several years. Yeah. So it was um, okay. It was. Minoru Tanaka, Masayuki Kono, and Mazada, who were watching, and then suspended. Um, so wait, so Tar was Tar? Yeah, this says like Tar was just suspended. Or hmm. yeah. So yeah, and you know, I'm not even gonna try to analyze this in terms of Japan and how things are different or whatever. It's just it's not a good situation. I. You know, the me- it's basically what happens is depending on how much the media in Japan keeps on it, staying on them. And right. Which apparently, which apparently is is pretty big time stuff. I mean, Zach Arnold's reporting that it's huge news in in uh, the Japanese media. Which I mean, good. You know, which I guess thank God because otherwise this probably would not have gotten out the way it did. You know. So yeah, know, I mean, with the way that you know the Japanese media, you can also really never, you know, you never know how you know how they're gonna cover things like this. No, I mean this is a this is a really uh, crazy story for a variety of reasons. I mean, you got Suzuki who's been involved with another guy who had <laughs> a similar situation that occurred. Um, you know, you've got now, Suzuki. Uh, you know, I would not. I'm not going to blame him too much. No, I mean I don't think you can blame him, but because uh, you, you, you know gotta, what the, you know, you know, Hirai was taking the, you know, he was willing to take the chair shot. He probably well, I mean, would have been anyway. You know, yeah, I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna, I'm not gonna, you know, he might not have been right mind at the time, but you know, in Japan they're still doing the chair shot, so he probably would have still taken it anyway. You know, Suzuki's previous, you know, 
issue where, you know, he was training uh, Giant Sochai, who died, and, you know, somehow in training from some head injury, which, you know... So I'm not gonna, you know, it's it's uh, you know, at at you know, but it, it's still eerie that he has any kind of involvement with this. Yeah, I mean, it's it's more of a big picture deal. I mean, yeah. you've got that connection, you've got the reality that you know, uh, the, this is about two years after the Masawa death in the ring. Um, yeah, but yeah, apparently it's added to some of the. Yeah. Why this is being considered a big deal? I mean, there's you you've got. Uh, this is not the first Japanese uh, wrestler who's you know, basically had a stroke during a match. Um, Which, it, it, I, uh, you know, I've talked about this before, you know, maybe not on a podcast or, you know, I, there was the one post I did a while back which talked about, you know, wrestlers all over the world who have had severe head injuries, but it's really happened a lot in Japan. Yeah. Um, you know, I will go back to that post and pull up the list, but you know, off the top of my head, uh, Masakazu Fukuda, um, Plum Mariko, yeah, Mika Kato, um, let's see, Takiyama, yeah, Takiyama had the had the you know, you know, all the ones I mentioned up up before Takiyama died, you know, from the injuries. Uh, Takiyama had the cerebral thrombosis, which is a type of stroke, and he was out for two years, you know, and really has never been the same, and he. He had already clearly had some kind of neurological issues because if you watch tapes of him from when he was starting out in EWF High, he did not have the, you know, he looked different. He developed a facial paralysis of some sort over the years. Um, you know, there were more, you know, but those are the main ones. Um, I remember, I think, not long after Fukuda died, and, you know, that I think there were a few weeks later, uh, Katsutoshi Goto had a very scary head injury, and this is, you know, both in New Japan. Yeah. That freaked a lot of people out. And he ended up being okay to the best of anyone's knowledge, but, you know, there, you know, there, you hear other stories too. You know, Masawa had clearly was not, you know, it ended up being the next stuff that killed him because it was an internal decapitation, but. He clearly just was not right. Had not did not look right for a while. Um, yeah. In terms of guys where we don't really know exactly what happened, clearly something changed with Tioshi Kikuchi. Um, especially, you know, a lot of people point to the match he had with uh, uh, Fuji, where where he took a like where the finish was him taking like a bunch of suplexes on his head in a row and people noticed a difference immediately after that match so and you know and he you know and in the ring you know it's kind of forgotten now since once Noah started he you know was a prominent wrestler again but he pretty quickly got demoted to being in the you know old man comedy matches yeah after that Definitely, definitely. And he, end, you know, he ended up becoming a pretty damn good wrestler again. But clearly, something yeah, there was a big, there the was guy. a big gap. Yeah, I mean, it, you, you know, def, there was definitely a couple, uh, you know, uh, a period where he was, uh, like you said, the the old the uh, the old man. 
in the oh, six mans or whatever. And uh, Hoshikawa, of course, I forgot. Yeah, now here are Hoshikawa, who was in zero one and had uh, multiple concussions over the course of a few weeks. Then they had an all cage match show. Uh, he wrestled Takayua, who he had worked with numerous times. Took a clo- a power bomb. I'm not sort of off the top of the cage. Not exactly, but he, you know, he sort of thing climbing the cage and Takayua power bombed him off of it. Hit him with a hard lariat. He started snoring. His brain was bleeding, and you know, severe permanent brain damage. You know, he was just he, as far as I know, he's you know not really a fun, you know he's not you know he's been confined to a wheelchair. I think he's maybe has some speaking ability, but I know that even not long after that, there were you know there were stories of that just re- you know he was not recognizing who the other wrestlers were. I just thought of somebody else, Hayabusa. Yeah, well, I mean that 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 the neck, you know, that that I wouldn't say refer to as a head injury. Ah, uh, I mean it's it's not a head injury, but it's another, it's a strong style issue, kind of. I mean, I, I guess uh, it was a. Isn't that really? Wasn't that one really just a rope? It was a Yeah, I guess it was a rope, but you 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 wonder if you wonder if that was a Darren. I mean, I know the the bump was brutal, but you wonder if that was a Darren Drozdov type situation where. Uh, it was that one bump that definitely did it, or, or the Masawa where there was a cumulative issue. Yes. Yeah. Okay. I you get your point. Yeah. You know, I mean, but really, I mean, when you think about it, there have been. A, do you think it's just, it's the style? Is it the style and the mentality? It's, it's got to be the style. I think it's the mentality too that they have. Uh, yeah. I mean, I think it's both, but I, I think it's you know, I, I think you, it has to be the style. And maybe I mean, you can throw in Mike Awesome in there because he was pretty much a full timer. Sure, and I mean, if you wrestling. look at, if you, I mean, the sad thing is, I mean, look, I Kenta versus Takayama this year uh, is a was a really kind of a hell of a match, but also a d- disturbing match to watch. I mean, uh, Takayama's a walking zombie in the match, getting taking repeated shots to the head. Still, <laughs> I, I, I don't know. It, it, there's, it's just, uh, it's not good. <laughs> you know, that, I mean, that's, you know, and I mean, you got, you know, the closest thing probably in the States to a guy uh, like that who's kind of kept on going, I guess, would be Foley maybe, but to, I don't know. They, Foley, all you know that, here, more scary stories about Foley have come out over the years, you know. He and his wife told the ones about him not remembering how to drive home himself. I think you know, right around the time of the retirement or either right after or something yeah. like that. Um, you know, I've heard stories since then, you know, that he couldn't, you know, find the elevator in a hotel hallway. He kept walking back and forth past the elevator. You know, uh, you know, just asking for directions, like, you know, after he'd been working for ECW for like a year and a half, asking for directions how to get onto the highway from the ECW arena, stuff like that. You know, and he, he, his personal estimation was dozens to up to up to a hundred concussions. <sighs> so it's it's, you know, I get the feeling that you know we don't know how this is going to end with you know super hate. You know, he hasn't been responsive. I don't, you know, between Japanese culture and stuff, I don't know. You know, if he was brain dead, I don't know if there's enough, you know, I don't know, religiously or whatever, 
if there's anything, you know, if, you know, if we'll see him, you know, brain dead and then, into, you know, and then see taking off life support or anything like that. I mean, and, basically just randomly just, you know. Yeah, I mean, and out. if that happens, if that happens, will Taru be charged? I, I mean, I don't think he will be, um, but that certainly raises uh, the question whether he I mean, will he be charged with anything in the first place? I, I mean, I don't know. I, I think the only chance he gets charged with anything is if, is if uh, uh, Super Hate dies. I, I mean, which, which uh, God very forbid, well you don't want happen. that. Yeah, I mean, you don't want that to happen. You you hope that some sort of miracle occurs, obviously. But um, I, I mean, if if he if if he dies, I I think there's a chance that Tony yeah. will be charged, especially based on what we're hearing about the media coverage. But I I got to be honest, I don't think there's any chance he'll be charged with assault or or anything like that. Probably not. I mean, um. I don't know about that enough about the law in the U.S. If some, if someone is brain dead and on life support, officially ruled brain dead and on life support, because I think there is a death certificate if someone is ruled brain dead, then, then is, can someone be charged with murder? I, I have no idea how it is in Japan. No clue. And again, we don't know. You know, we don't know exactly what his status is. We, uh, this, all we've heard is not responsive. Uh, but that's that for now. Um, couple more things we want to go over, you know, what came out between shows, you know, Averno to WWE. Uh, you know, there's not that much to say that we haven't already, you know, always already talked about on the blog. Um, if this is a Triple H thing that he came up with the idea of asking Mr. You know, Mr. Go to play Sin Cara, who he wanted to work with, because, you know, the, you know, the story is that he's a Triple H talent development product, then I think that's a very good sign for WWE in the future. Yeah. Uh, you know, I don't think there's that much more to say other than speculating about how things will go after he finishes the Sin Cara feud. Yeah, I mean, I think that's that's the real issue is what are they going to do? I mean, if he's being brought in solely to give Sin Cara somebody to work with, A, what are they going to do with him when that feud is over? And B, what does that actually say about the viability of Sinkara if they have to go get somebody else from outside to bring in. Um, then again, they were supposedly looking at Averno before this. To some degree, so. right. He was at the tryout in the fall. Oh, oh. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, they're definitely still looking at signing more wrestlers from Mexico, both for general use and to work with Sinkara. We'll see how it goes. I'm kind of curious to see when he starts with WWE. You know what? You know. You know. At, you know when this first came out, he hadn't even told CML officially. Who knows what's been going on behind the scenes? You know, since he set. You know, he has the mask match coming up. When is that? This Friday now. I think so. Yeah, this Friday against Mascara. Uh, is there any way that he, even with him leaving, that CML does a sort? What? But then again, are they gonna have La Mascara lose his mask? No, no. Even just, I'm not even. Besides the joke about the name, because you know there have been wrestlers with similar names who did a mask, but you know it just well because they did it, it just I would normally say no, which is with the you know the last big mask matches they had they did do these big swerves. You know, well, for one of them, they did. You know, they did. It was, you know, it was Blue Panther feuding with Viano 5. 
And, you know, everyone expected Blue Panther to win and then maybe eventually lose his mask to Ultimo Guerrero, to put Ultimo Guerrero over the top as a top guy. And for whatever reason, Diana 5 won as a, swer- as a swerve and then lost his mask to Ultimo Guerrero. The, the big difference is that Blue Panther wasn't going to WWE. Well, yeah. Yeah, I just wonder, I mean, because, you know, a lot of stuff has been, you know, CML is burying their head in the sand. You know, of course, part of it was Averno was going to try to lose his mask on an independent show if CML wouldn't book it and give him the big payoff. Yeah. So, it's like, you know, and I'm, yeah, I mean, if he doesn't lose his mask, then he is going to try on Friday, then he's going to drop it, you know, somewhere or Monterey, you know, wherever. You know, within a couple of weeks after that, so I mean, he would probably they might as well just unmask him. But I could, I could see them being weird about it and saying, since knowing that he's going to WWE unmasked, to not say Averno is this guy who you are going to see the face of on WWE, but it's not likely. I could yeah. see them thinking it's a good idea, but I don't think it would happen. So, I guess the, 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 that's about it. Oh, right. Oh, we actually, uh, I was looking at my list wrong. Okay, a couple things. You know, again, go over quickly. Fully quitting TNA. You know, we, knew, we knew he was going to end up, you know, leave when his contract was up. The issue is when he starts working with WWE. Pretty maybe much. he'll maybe he'll be Linda's campaign manager. Well, <laughs> yeah. You know, I, yeah, I wonder, by the way, you know, I mean, I get the feeling he knows he has no more books left in him, but now he does have WWE behind him again, if he were to. I mean, once if assuming he goes back, which we know he will. Oh, of course he will. I mean, do you think he'll just be kind of on, just as kind of a goodwill ambassador here and there, legend type? I mean, ideally, if he has to come back, he'd be in the Bret Hart role, you know, where he shows up every couple of months, maybe for like a special event. Um <laughs> I, I don't. Something like um, I, I think the temptation would be very great to use him in some capacity for the build for Rock Cena uh, at WrestleMania. Um, Second. I think it's quite possible that they would induct Rock and Sock together into the Hall of Fame if that were to happen. Well, not uh, as a team, but. Well, no, but you know what I mean. Together. Um, yeah, but yeah, on, on, on the same on the you same know what, bill. Though, but then again. They don't like to have more than one main event Hall of Fame. Yeah, I, I know and they say the that. And there's a Savage going in next year too. So I, I know they say that, but um, I think this is one instance where I think if Foley is a visible presence in the company, uh, it, it'll be a very, very tempting. I think perhaps too tempting for them to pass up. That that that's kind of my that's kind of my viewpoint on that. Not that Foley and The Rock are as linked as um, I think uh, maybe sometimes certain people may think they are, but I, I definitely feel like uh, you know if they're going to use Foley in the build to WrestleMania, which I almost guarantee they will, um, then that that could happen. Okay. Now I have no idea if Talk to actually cut someone off because. At least the actual released MP3, because the one I actually posted on the site, like 
I actually cut up a little in the, uh, I just cut the beginning and end off because the stop recording button wasn't working. Uh, it actually did before, when I, you know, it did let us go over two hours. So I'm guessing we're not going to get cut off um, in terms of, because it was still actually recording with when both of us were gone. Yeah. So I think we're not going to be cut off here. And obviously uh, in the future, this won't be an issue, but I don't think it's going to, it cuts anyone off. I think the two hours is more guideline. It's not a blog talk radio cutoff thing. Uh, but really the last thing story is, the Hardys back in the news. Uh, <laughs> you know, I don't know how I mi- I actually missed that th- there was another continuance um, in about a week, a little over a week ago. I missed that until the other Hardy stuff in the last couple of days. Uh, it's and this time it was that the uh, you know the woman who's doing the you know the evaluation for chemical dependency treatment has not finished the evaluation, and I think it was continued till. Yeah, actually, it might be June 29th, same day as the flyer stuff, and it's there was a, a belief that this will actually be when it's adjudicated. But as far as the other, the, the thing that's actually been really big in the news the last couple of days with parties, first they did some stupid video with Matt's girlfriend and getting tased, and I don't, you know, for some reason that's gotten coverage. But really, the big thing is that there was a video of Matt and Jeff. Uh, playing a drinking game, and they got actually enough complaints that it was pulled, and they did a follow-up video, which is up, where they don't apologize. What would you even call it? <laughs> um, I don't even I don't... know. It, you can't eat it. It's a little, It's as if they were doing an apology video without apologizing. Well, I mean, I... I guess I should hedge my words a little bit, but I won't. Um, as is often the case with hardcore drug addicts, it's hard to decipher what they're actually saying. They, well, in fairness, <laughs> this was a video where they seemed relatively with it. Yeah, I mean, that's true. Um, but, this again... This wasn't them in a diner talking about CM Punk, while old Jeff talking about how awesome he is at take, taking drugs. Jeff, that is, <laughs> which, Lord of God, that, I can't believe, you know, when people were talking about this video, it was, oh, he's shooting out CM Punk and saying CM Punk takes Ambien. Okay, sure. But it's also, Jeff, during the video, talks about how awesome he personally is at taking drugs. Well, clearly <laughs> intoxicated. And me and Keith seem to be the only ones who are actually have pointed this out. Well, I... Um, yeah, I I think that's true. I which is kind of weird, except for the fact that I think the Hardys are such obvious, so obviously drug addicts that the assumption is just what I mean. Look, the Hardys are basically Scott Hall with better high spots. <laughs> I mean, that's that's really what they are. They're both they're both train wrecks to one degree or another. Um, I don't know which one is worse. I, I really, I, 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 I honestly don't know. I mean, well, see, the thing is, with with Matt, with Matt, you want to say Matt is worse because I get the feeling that he's more of an attention whore than Jeff. But the difference is that Matt didn't piss away um, as much as Jeff pissed away. So no, um... uh, I, I think if you look at it that way, I mean. 
Matt, Matt, what Matt has lost is, you know, being a really good, viable mid-carder who, you know, had some support but was probably never going to be a main eventer and probably never going to make huge, huge money. What Jeff has lost is being the biggest babyface in the United States. I mean, so when you look at it that way, even though I think Matt is probably... Though it's worth keeping in mind with Matt, I just gotta interrupt for that. It's worth keeping in mind with Matt though that he he was making very good money because he was selling merchandise well above his level. That's true you know, on the card. Yeah, that is true. That's a and good he point. Made, he, the Hardys, pretty much from the point they've been a really pushed act with merchandise, have been make you know have been made great money in WWE. Well, uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I mean, look, Matt. There, I mean, look. I guess they just thought there was other ways to make money to buy drugs with. That maybe there were more. <laughs> I don't. I mean, I don't. I don't know. I don't know what. And now what... he's well. Anyway, the video. The video they posted where they sort of acknowledged the drinking game video, but not really. That's it. Jeff had been reincarnated. <laughs> no, he's he was saying that. that. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if he was misusing the word reincarnated or using it metaphorically. But he, but he was using it in, as sort of a read between the lines way of saying that if Jeff ever did have a serious drug problem, that he's clean. And, and I mean, look, you know, Kurt Angle of all people. Outright said that Jeff was wasted for that match with Sting, and but has been clean since. And obvious, well, you know, obviously when they did the drinking game, the, he stopped being clean. If he if he had not stopped being clean before that, but Kurt Angle. Yeah, only in the wrestling business would Kurt Angle be. <laughs> I mean. Okay, I mean here's here's this is actually um this is actually an interesting question, I guess. I think it's widely accepted that Vince let go release Kurt Angle, even though he was still quite popular and a huge star at the time, because, you know, Kurt was a danger both to himself and others, and I personally believe because I think Vince thought there was a good chance that Kurt was gonna drop dead on the job. Yeah. Um I don't know. I mean, the, the story has always been that Jeff left on his own volition. Uh, they seem to oh, hold on to Matt playing. Hardy. They seem to hold on to Matt for way longer than, than should should have been and the case. Contract, well, and remember, with Jeff, it was his contract expiring and signing a very short extension to finish up the CM Punk season. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, like, it was presented as Jeff leaving of his own volition, is my, is my point. That he yeah. just, you know, I'm leaving, I'm done. And then conveniently within... Days of leaving, he gets the, the drug charges, the bust or whatever. I happened. was going to bring that up. I've always found that timing fascinating. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But I mean, whether you know the, I'm you know this is just you know, the, it could very well be a coincidence. It just seems very strange that it happens two weeks after he leaves WWE. Yeah, it really does seem strange. I mean, I honestly, I think um, that's one of those situations where it's almost so, it's so strange 
that it almost defies believability that those two things aren't connected some way. Like, I'm not saying uh, that there's any evidence, but, you know, I mean, obviously the question then becomes, was the WWE tipped off that the rape was going to happen, or did somebody in the WWE tip off (laughs) the authorities that Jeff was a drunk addict? Well, you know, as far as, you know, whether it was a tip-off, I think it had been known for at least a couple months that he would be leaving. Yes. So... And that it was a contract expiration. So there's that. But, you know, what happens? And also, you have to remember that, you know, they and they let Punk do cut the promo about the arrest. Yeah. And then. But I, you're right. It just seems impossible. Yeah, it really does seem. I mean, I look. Or, or well, wait a second, though. You have to remember, though, what little we know about this, or at least even the story that was going around the WWE locker room, was that Jeff was sent a package that he then took into the house, which contained the drugs. Yeah. At least some of the drugs. Um, so, obviously, there was an investment. There was an investigation leading up to this. Yeah, this wasn't this exactly. This was a sting operation of some sort, you know. But again, he had been. But well, again, though, if it's a sting, you know, we don't know how long that had been leading up for. You know, so maybe Hardy himself knew that something was brewing. And figured. No, come on, the Hardys aren't that smart, dude. Well, like, well, yeah, you're right. He did think that leaving the, the, the apparently, you know, I think it was Meltzer said that Hardy just thought that leaving the company for a stretch would reset his two strikes in the wellness program. <laughs> Which, you know, then they, I think not long after, they officially codified as not being the case. Like, it may not have, it wasn't officially established at the time, and then not long after they did establish, but I'm something. There's something fishy. I'm not sure exactly what. Yeah, I mean, the point is, the real point is that um, that story is awfully fishy. But broad, you know, broader than that, the Hardys are a huge, huge, huge mess. Such a mess. Uh, in fact, that again, uh, as with Kurt Angle, e- e- even Vince won't touch him. You know, I mean, like that, and of course, I, you know, in the wellness, you know, era or whatever, to whatever degree that really means anything. But in, in the in the wellness era, WWE, well, you know what? Though, I mean, really past the click era, they have been vigilant at, as far as trying to get guys help with well I'm not going to you know maybe I'm overstated that might be overstating a little but they've certainly been harder on guys than you absolutely know have serious pill problems and stuff like that oh yeah I mean look it's not it's very easy to castigate the whole thing and say that it doesn't work because all certain guys are pretty obviously on on the juice, for example, or things like that. But I, I, I mean, I think oh, overall, you know, I mean, it's better than uh, it's certainly better than it was. 
Yeah, but, but then, you know, and then again with the pill thing, you know, there's there's you know stuff that I you know I can't exactly detail. There's stuff that was implied that you know you have to remember the Hardy thing did take a good a month or two to to really after it had gotten beyond out of control before they released him. Well, I mean, the Matt Hardy one to me is the most is really the crazy one because you've got a guy who's going on, uh, on you know, doing the YouTubes and stuff, where and twittering, basically, literally admitting in some instances that he's on drugs. <laughs> and well, that I don't remember. Well, I mean, it's doing he's doing it in veiled ways, but well, he and well, yeah, I mean, I I mentioned that you know apparently there have been points where he used you know, Hardy Click, uh, you know, the the only, you know, him and their friends like Shannon Moore having certain code words, and apparently he used those code words in tweets at some point. Yeah. And, you know, obviously, you know, if you just look at him in those videos from really when it broke down, you know, just look at his pupils, listen to how he's talking, he was just not... Yeah, he's gone, I mean, and it was right. it was obvious that he was gone. And, I mean, I don't know why it took as long as, long as it did to release him. Um, I mean, I've well, heard, you know, the speculation... Well, they was didn't that, want him to go to TNA, which, I mean, it's, come on, it's Matt Hardy, and it's TNA. I mean, well, I mean, that's, you know, I, I've heard other people speculate that uh, because, uh, you know, and I, I, honestly, I don't... I don't know if I believe this, but I've heard other people speculate that because of the Lance Cade issue that was raised in Linda Senate campaign, there was uh, a fear that if they let him go and he died immediately after, it would be bad, and maybe somebody could talk him into going to rehab if he was still with the company. Hmm. Um, well, uh, yeah, I, I mean, yeah, in fairness. But, you know, and then, there, and then the Soma fan... <laughs> Outright, apparently, Mel- Meltzer pretty much outright said it was, was Matt Hardy's fault. Yeah. That after after all after 15, at least fifteen years of them being a major, major, major problem in wrestling, Matt Hardy was apparently and you know, reportedly, the one who got them outright banned. Not you can take him with a prescription if a valid prescription, outright banned. How, how many how many guys were were, were Soma's uh, part of their death? Okay, Luis Spicoli. But Spicoli's the, the big one. one. Uh, yeah. uh, I remember. I feel like there's someone I'm missing. You know, I, I believe you know, you know, when Michaels and Hall and I think Walt and you know were all very bad. You know, around '95 that I believe yeah. all of them were you know very bad in Soma's. No, Michaels, I think outright, you know, admitted that also later on he was very bad with in Zomas. You know, as far as the deaths, I'm not completely sure. Spicoli may be the only the only major one. I, I just yeah. I know I know Louis was the, the was the big one. Uh, and, you know, that was definitely a contributor. You know, I do find it interesting, and really, it, this is a positive thing for WWE that that it was an outright ban. That this was not something that they're allowing at all with prescriptions, apparently. You know, and because you know, I've talked about. I did think I talked about a little when it happened, and you know, and some people did a little on message boards. But of the various muscle relaxers, soma is the least effective and the most likely to get someone high. Yeah. Yep. So there's no reason for anyone to re- to need it. No. No. This isn't this isn't flexoril. <laughs> it's not flexoril. You know, it's not a. You know, it's not Robaxin. 
it's you know, and yeah, which you know, yeah, it's like it was you know, everyone you know has had to take something at one point or another, and you know, but and yeah, those the the those I guess are I guess they're more recent. I don't know exactly, but there are a handful Soma of the modern ones of the worst. They also banned Milltown at the same time, which I only know from from Maud. Because I, uh, I know that it was a, a thing that, like, Maud took Middletown. It was some type of old tranquilizer. And I'm like, okay, who the hell in WWE is... T- I mean, because it's, you know, it's one of those things that's, you know, probably superseded by more recent, you know, medications. Yeah. It's like, you know, you, it's like hearing w, someone in WWE is taking barbiturates. <laughs> it's absolutely... So, I mean, dear... So, you know, it must be the guys we're trying to get around the testing by using older medications. To be fair, Less yeah. Less involved I mean, medications. Yeah, to, I mean, and to be fair, the Hardys especially, you get the impression would take pretty much anything. Yeah. I mean, I mean I'm mean, i not even trying to be funny. Like, you, you, get, you get the impression with them that they would take probably, like, I mean, honestly, if you found out tomorrow that uh, Jeff Hardy was Reed Flair's heroin hookup, would anybody really be surprised? You know, I mean, like, again, I'm kind of joking, but I mean, obviously I am. But really, these guys are clearly, clearly have serious drug problems. And, you know, one thing I've thought about since it's, I'm not going, this is not me you know, casting aspersions on anyone, you know. Because yeah, you have to, also, it's what they have to remember, I don't know if it gets to being in WWE ate him up, but they were considered very clean living guys when when they were younger. As far as I know. Well, but again, it's a style issue. I mean, we talked about the the strong style stuff in Japan. I mean, these guys made their bread and butter doing insane shit. I mean, you know, and and, uh, I I think that that is... I mean, honestly, if if your thing is that you're taking... uh, falls off of ladders to the concrete floor, uh, it stands to reason that eventually you're going to start taking painkillers. And, yeah. you know, I mean, one, once that starts, um, if you're not that smart to begin with, and I think I think it's definitely true that neither Matt nor Jeff is very intelligent. Um, <laughs> I, I, well, I mean, I, I just no, I know think... you're being if, serious, but... Yeah. I, like, if you, if you put those things together, I mean, it's not good. It's not good. Yeah, I, I just you you. It doesn't take a lot um, to to make a clean living person into a drug addict if you have circumstances like that. Yeah, the one thing I'll say is, and I said this once on a podcast I did with Dave Walsh, you know, of a uh, formerly head kick legend now liverkick dot com. One point was also on your on case I see. I have to think that it can't just 100% be that you, that, you know, I can't think that it's every wrestler is more predisposed to addiction. I have to think that they're, to some degree, these wrestlers are not all guys who are getting high, doing it to get high. Yeah, I say it varies, and I'm sure plenty are the culture, the you know, and drinking and whatever, and, you know, the, you know, CM Punk and whoever who would be, you know, yeah, you know, looked down upon for not drinking. Obviously, 
you know, it's an issue. But I have to think there's a larger percentage than we think that are not doing it to get high, even if they develop a problem. Yeah, well, I, I, look, I don't think uh, – I think it's hard to say. I mean, I think wrestling is a self-selecting industry to a degree. I mean, yeah. you look, look, you know, you, there's, you have to be a pretty eccentric – out there person to want to be a pro wrestler. And I say that as a fan and in no way yeah. trying to demean wrestler. I mean, you just have to be, you know, I, I was in a lot of crappy bands, the front man, you have to be the same thing <laughs> to be in crappy bands, the front man, like that, that's kind of how it works. And, uh, I don't, uh, you know, when you, when you have that, when you, when you have a business that, deals with people who are eccentric, kind of out there, by their nature, um, I think sort of predisposed to uh, being, you know, willing to live almost uh, fairy tale esque uh, scenarios out, you know, right. these characterizations of themselves and characterizations of themselves. I think it, it stands to reason that you're probably going to include more people, that, that also that business is going to have more self-destructive people. And I, I don't, um, I don't, that doesn't necessarily mean that uh, everybody who gets into the pain pill thing does it purely to get high. Uh, in fact, I think a lot of people probably, you know, it, it, it's, it's pain related. Um, but I, I think it's hard to say. I think it's really hard to say one way or the other how prevalent it is uh, for, you know, for people who are just there to get fucked up and for people who have legitimate issues that, you know, they, they but then if you look at somebody like the Lance Cade scenario, <laughs> I mean, that's, you know, I mean, that's a pretty, that's uh, a kind of an interesting case of a guy who, who uh, tried to get help or if, if you, you know, if you believe the story anyway. Uh, uh, Pretty sure. I mean, that's the case. I mean, we know he did go through the rehab. And- I, I believe the story. I, yeah. I, I'm sure there's some people who'd be cynical about it. That's all I was saying. Yeah. Uh, anyway, I, it's a, it's it's hard. I think it's a hard, very hard to say because of the nature of how the business is. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, and one one way I I put it sometimes when you talk about the sort of that you got to be kind of screwed up to be a wrestler. You know, whether it's you know knowing wrestlers who I'm friendly with or whatever, but I'll put it you know. You know, and this isn't. By the way, this isn't saying that this specific wrestler has drug problems because this is that that was the thread we were talking about. This is just sort of a way of stating the you know degree you have to you know be screwed up or whatever to be a wrestler, however you want to put it. I'm sure that as every wrestler says it, Bobby Eaton is the nicest guy in the world. Bobby Eaton also a guy who's been who was willing to take some incredibly nasty bumps every night for decades. Every night. I mean, yeah. hip tosses on the floor every night. Back, you know, back um, drops on the floor, leg drop off the top, knee drop off the top, elbow off the top. Well, I'm I'm always reminded of the uh, is that Bobby Heenan quote, which I wish I had right in front of me, where he sort of outlines the uh, <laughs> the innate uh, absurdity of the pro wrestling business. Yeah. Um, I think actually, uh, it was actually, I believe the quote at the that was used at the beginning of the, the Ring of Hell book. Yeah. But um, yeah, I mean, you know, it, it is an innately uh, crazy business, and it does. I think it is self-selecting. I think it attracts people 
who are both larger than life and in a large way self-destructive, or at least not opposed to the concept of destroying themselves for some sort of glory or, uh, you know, uh, fame, uh, Foley being an obvious case. And then you end up with the situation you have with guys like the Hardys. I, I don't think I don't look. I don't think the Hardys started off as guys who you saw wrestling as a vehicle for getting fucked up. I mean, I I don't believe that. But there's no question. I don't think there's any question that they see it that way now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, one thing I thought about with the Hardys, these are guys who were traumatized by their mother dying of cancer when they were young. That's true. I mean, not to excuse anything they've done, but issues. You know, I mean. Uh, and, you know, Jeff has always been eccentric, you know, even you know, earlier on in, in, as a wrestler. And you know, just, there are recipes for disaster, you know. If, you know, you know. I think it was, he just put it the best way. And I think lost, our friend Lost Dude said, China just got chewed up and spit out by the wrestling business. She was just someone who was not emotionally going to be a good fit for this business. And boy, did it did just everything go the wrong way for her after she became a star. Yep. And, you know, and now look at I mean, look at you know, in last the last couple of weeks, you know, a vivid video announces that they that she shot a porn film for them, and she says she didn't. A few days later. She's saying, yes, she did, and, oh, it's good, it's empowering, blah, blah, blah. What? (laughs) Anyway, wow, that went long. I mean, that's what we get for having to skip a week or two, but, uh, you know, uh, and, of course, ending on a downer. Is there anything else, at least more more amusing, that that we can finish off with that happened in the last couple weeks? Oh God! After ending uh, on that downer, when we could have talked about, yeah, we could have, yeah, we ended, yeah, talking about the Hardys, we could have ended on, uh, oh, here's something we can end on, the U.S. the U.S.C. possibly buying G4 stores, which probably would take way too much time to really go to. <laughs> but dear God, what are they thinking? I I don't know. Okay. I mean, it, 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 okay. If it's six hundred million dollars, that's the big thing. Yep. You know, obviously, although it, it seemed ridiculous even before, earlier in the day before that story came out. You know, when the story first came out a few days ago. But what? What? Are, what you know, and they're not even thinking of turning it into the USC network, as far as we can tell. No. Which wouldn't be a wise move, so at least they have the wherewithal to know that. Yeah, I don't understand it. I, it doesn't. Um, it doesn't seem like a wise investment on any level. Uh, you know, it's. Uh, I mean, what what possible value would that have to them? You know, a, uh, the only thing I can think of is that they think, and this still doesn't really make any sense out of it, just adds something to it that they think that they're leveraged, leveraged with DirecTV and various cable companies as money makers for them, 
means that they think that if they jumped on as part owner, as majority owners, they could get G4 back on DirecTV and whatnot and be able to get it close-ish to Spike TV in terms of available homes. Yeah, I mean, I guess this is, might be one of these sort of deals where uh, kind of the Vince deal where he hates only being on one big network. You know, that's kind of Vince's thing, always has been, is he likes to have, supposedly, is that he likes to have uh, an outlet other than USA, right? I mean, that's that's always how, right. that's the rumor. But, so it could be it could, it could be one of those things is that you know they want right, an outlet other than Spike that and they think that they can turn this into a highly visible outlet, or this could be you know a Sinclair Broadcasting Ring of Honor type story where there's just somebody that's totally fucking crazy throwing money around. And at least with Sinclair Ring of Honor, they apparently did not spend you know even by you know for what Sinclair has even if they did spend WCW money which we speculated about and apparently is not the case, um, they still wouldn't have spent a lot by... It's a drop in the bucket. What they have. It's a drop in the bucket for them, especially knowing that they didn't pay apparently close to what WWE paid for WCW, which means that they, whoa, that Carrie Silken Carrie probably did lose a good amount of money in the end. Yeah, yeah. Because, okay, if WCW, depending on how you do the math for how the assets were arranged, was either... About two and a half to or four point six million. Uh, I guess if you go use the four point six figure, then maybe they still got they still paid one to two million. If you use the two point five figure and it wasn't close to that, I figure the max absolute maximum is a million, and probably closer to five to seven hundred. I'd be 000. very surprised if the promotion was sold for less than a million dollars. Like. I mean, I just I really doubt it was sold for less than a million dollars. I I I'm I'm not gonna you know I mean obviously I have no way of knowing that, but it it seems I mean if I'm if you're Carrie who obviously liked the idea of being involved in wrestling or otherwise he would not have been involved for it as long as he was, right. and you know we know for a fact that he took at least a seven figure hit um, on 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 over the long haul. Somewhere, you know, probably two two million on the low end. I think four million on the high end. Yeah, that's what I've that's what I've heard. But if I mean, I just I find it hard to believe that he would that he would take anything less than seven figures. Hmm. You know, and I'm kind of curious with his ticket business. You know, having to be suffering because of StubHub and everything, and tickets now. You know. How that if that had been softening the blow at all anymore, but yeah. So anyway, back to the UFC and G4. Yeah, G4 has always really been a giant disaster. Yeah. So I, yes, I talked about this in the post, but the Tech TV buyout not only was ugly in terms of the firings and the way they changed things around, but and also, pre going back before that, when that when they started G4, Comcast took Tech TV off of Comcast to deval presumably to devalue it and also to make it to apparently you know something that sort of a, was a competitor to G4, but not really have it not on to the, available to their subscribers. So apparently they were planning this for a very long time and. You know, they completely, you know, they 
not only did they gut what was, you know, I don't know if it was profitable, but at least a network that had legs and was absolutely beloved by its audience. Yeah. I mean, you know, with tech TV, you know. Obviously, you know, whether it's me or anyone else who followed it, you know, if it was something like, you know, if it was Lifetime or whatever, a cable network that anyone didn't have any kind of feelings about. Oh, come on. Different. Come on, a lot of people have feelings for Lifetime. You know what I mean, though. <laughs> I mean, what's a better example? What's a better example? Um, I don't want to say Mav TV because the people there have been nice to me, but... Uh, <laughs> I'm just no, because they were relatively low level, so I'll just you know, and I guess they can, they would admit that. But uh, just whether it's the games network, not game show network, you know, stuff like that. And then you know, but people absolutely love Tech TV. People like the people who work at Tech TV, and you know, so then you know, and they just made it. They made G4 arguably low, more lowest common denominator than Spike, which is scary. <laughs> that that's pretty. I mean, that's pretty scary. Um, I got, and boy, well, well, I mean, no. think about this. No, dude, Spike airs TNA. No, but they took <laughs> the, the flagship show of Tech TV, which became the flagship show of G4, was changed from a show about technology folk which was supposed to be kind of the power user people who know about computer show for the network <laughs> and changed it into a, a general pop culture show that eventually became an excuse for Olivia Munn to put on fan service costumes and dive into liquids <laughs> oh Dear God, we've been doing this for two and a half hours. Jesus. <laughs> yeah, for this type of show, too, is really not long. And I blame our whatever, you know, our little uh, hiatus, or unintent, you know, did the hiatus thing for that. But anyway, I mean, G4, G4 just does not have an audience. <laughs> video, the original, I mean, look, their original concept was something that was the video game network was something that sounded cool in theory, but it was an absolute disaster in execution no matter how you tried to do it. Yes, that's very true. But now they're, you know, their cut rates spike. You know, they, somehow they still have, you know, they, they actually still have a tech TV show in X-Play, you know, which is now I think the only actual regular video game show left on the network. Uh, you know, because... Somehow, I guess because it wasn't redundant to the other shows, they kept it, and then they, you know, they got rid of the other video game shows when they dropped the format. Although they do, you know, obviously the last week they covered the Electronics Entertainment Expo and stuff. But this is not a network that really has value beyond being in people's homes and being owned by Comcast and stuff. You know, I mean, it doesn't really have a following. It doesn't. It's in people's homes. It ha- at least the only the only positive is that it's in a decent amount of homes, not a great amount of homes, and it has an identity that targets a certain demographic, which is the USC demographic. Yes, that, I mean, yeah. Having said that, 
they already have a relationship with Comcast, and if they wanted to leave Spike, Comcast would be welcoming them, welcoming them to put whatever they want on Versus with open arms. And keep remember, Versus is at some point soon going to become, for better or worse, the NBC Sports Network and become their ESPN. Yeah. With US oh, no, I as, mean, a cent- as a centerpiece of that. To, to some degree, it already is. Right, but I mean, you know, the merger just happened. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't have any kind of real NBC branding yet. No, but I mean, but my, but my point, my point is, um, if you're a sports fan, if you're a sports fan, you already know what Versus is. And it's going to gain a lot of clearances very soon. You know, if it hasn't already, you know, it's going to explode soon. Yeah, I mean, look, the point is, if you're, if like I said, if you're a sports fan, you already know what Versus is. And they're probably they're probably able to write their own check there. Yeah. Why are they going to lay out six hundred million by not even the entire network, and not is, one that's is it sixty percent? Is that what it is? It's, that's the thing I don't get. That I, the price apparently is based on ten dollars a subscriber, but if they're not buying the whole network, why are they but paying you know six, six you know ten million dollars a subscriber for sixty million? I don't know. It seems high. But well, yeah. I mean, cause it's, again, it's C four. But there, there's no way in where this makes sense. This makes less sense than than the Sinclair deal. <laughs> honestly, I mean, no. I, well, at least in the sense, you know, USC has a reason, which is that they can put on whatever shows they want whenever they want. But that's not worth spending six hundred million dollars no. for a company that recently had to, presumably, had to sell ten percent. Mysterious, uh, you know, do, uh, investors from Dubai. It just it comes around like just throwing around money because they can, right? And I mean, do we know exactly how much they can? I mean, exactly what state and station casinos in right now? It's it's odd. Well, I mean, Vegas has been really hard hit, right? And they were the the casinos for the locals. Yeah. And, you know, obviously I don't expect it to happen, and I said that, but it does seem interesting knowing now that WWE is having trouble getting clearances for WWE Network and would, and is at the point where they would have to buy a cable network to get it going. I don't think they'll do it, but it's interesting that this story is coming out right after that news came out, and, um, what was I saying? And with WWE already having a relationship with Comcast, because remember, you know, as we said with the merger, they're now on com, you know, they're all now all on Comcast networks. It would make at least more sense for WWE to do it. They have the video library to build, you know, make it. They have, they have a lot more that they that they could that they could use a, a full network with. Right, and and they're in, you know, and they've talked about being in spending mode too. That's the big thing, and taking out loans and stuff. So it would make more sense. It probably wouldn't be wise, but it would make a lot more sense. And I guess that's it for now, but I just, I think it's weird, you know, and I, for their sake, I hope it doesn't happen. I get the feeling that the fighters will not be happy that they're spending $600 million on this. Would you? I mean, these guys are really, I mean, pretty underpaid. Yeah. But, but, but I mean, by by the standards of uh, big time athletes Absolutely. with 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 name value, 
Um, and some of them have quite a bit of name value, even even in uh, casual circles, just walking around the street. I mean, there's really very few guys in mixed martial arts that have made the kind of money that you would expect a huge athlete to have made. Yeah, other than maybe Lesnar, who doesn't really who doesn't spend it. Yeah. You know, and Liddell who, and Couture, who probably spent too much of it. <laughs> uh, yeah, so we'll see how that goes, but <laughs> we're sounding too somber about something we were actually trying to laugh at, but it is perplexing. It is bizarre. I mean, I guess... Uh... Again, we know we know the reason. That's That's not the issue. This is stupid. <laughs> no, this, 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 yeah, this is outright stupid. And do you, you know what? I'm probably going to divide this thing up into two files because of how long I've got. But well, it is stupid. I mean, look, it's 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 uh it's a stupid deal that doesn't make any fucking sense. But this is you know, I mean, this is ROH running shows in Japan. Stupid. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Because the, the the joke I made at the time, especially after it became clear they couldn't run their the dream matches they wanted with Samoa Joe and all that, I said it, it was it's like WWE running two shows in Antarctica for a billion dollars, only not as nearly as cool. <laughs> uh, oh my God! But, um, yeah, <laughs> I, I a part of me. Really, like, a part of me really wants a WWE show to be run in Antarctica now. <laughs> By the way, it, it, it's kind of late when we're recording this. If we just sound like we're just kind of, <laughs> we're just completely like knocked out, but and laughing at everything we say, but we are we are not indulging in any kind of uh, yeah, yeah, we're, not, we've not been hanging out with the Hardys. Well, oh, come on! I don't think the Hardy smoke pot. Well, well, I mean, I'm sure they probably do. Well, they probably they probably do it with a lot of other stuff to the point. I mean, what the hell don't they do? <laughs> <laughs> like, I mean, realistically, again, these are not. I don't know. Anyway, Jeff Hardy did math. We should probably point that out. <laughs> Jeff Hardy admitted to, to doing crystal math. And then his house mysteriously burned down. But anyway, um. <laughs> I'm just, Yeah, I can't believe I left you. That's just so that it's late when we're recording this, because you are far from the first person to have made that joke in the last couple of years. <laughs> and that is by far the funniest I've ever found it. <laughs> Jesus Christ. What is that? No, but yeah, by the way, which I always wondered why, why they pu- did publish that on WWE.com and then quickly pulled it. <laughs> when he came back in, uh, when was that, 06? The interview they posted specifically mentioned crystal meth and then deleted that part. <laughs> I don't know what you want to say about the, what that means, but I think it's great that somebody in the that somebody in the company like initially thought that that wasn't a big enough issue. Like, oh well, it's just meth. You so, know, and he's like, oh come on, he's talking about how he's doing better and blah blah blah. Although I believe and, that did have the not an addiction, I was just 
doing stupid crap excuse. <laughs> yeah, that's a uh, you know I like how I, I I like how that's sort of like always the um you know the 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 wrestling fallback deal is like oh I really didn't have a problem or oh you know I was just doing something something dumb. If only you know, you know, like, if only I by the way if only I knew about the wrestler without the belly button before we started then I would have made sure to end on that. <laughs> okay, you know my uh, dear God, I've been talking. For, we've been talking for too long. My throat is killing me. Okay, let's. Play. There was something. Oh God, I just saw something else. Oh, that's it. That's what we should end on. Someone pointed out this week uh, on a message board I go to that I don't think it's probably not directly linked from anything, but the page on the TBS website for WCW Thunder is still up. <laughs> That is what we'll end on then on our light note. And, uh, okay, that is think? great. First, it has the special announcement up for when WCW allegedly went on hiatus, which I will read. It's under a picture of Goldberg next to a logo, TV, PG, DLV. Special announcement. Effective Tuesday, March 27th. Keep in mind, 2001. <laughs> as in over 10 years ago. Effective March Tuesday, March 27th, WCW programming will be, begin a period of hiatus. During this hiatus, WCW will review its programming plan to determine the course of future WCW-branded entertainment events. More information will be posted as it is made available. While you're waiting for the return to WCW, be sure to check out the Superstation's other action-packed offerings like man-made movie and movies for guys who like movies. <laughs> if you're interested in more enhanced TBS excitement, log, in, log on on each Friday night for... Enhanced dinner in a movie. Yeah, <laughs> I love I love that. That is great, and, I and that's think- actually great. The point because people forget about the whole w- the end of the season WCW going on hiatus thing. That's like the forgotten thing in the whole death of WCW that they 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 were teasing we're gonna stick around and. That's it for tonight. I know we've gone on way too long, but um, hopefully this time I'll actually be back in a week and not go two hours and 45 minutes. But uh, to everyone listening, thank you, and, you know, see you in a week, and that's it. Okay, ah, Jesus, that's the problem with doing this late. KTIGs.com, if you're finding this through something else, because I'm actually posting this on iTunes (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's the thing because I Jesus Christ I hadn't set up the feed yet last week so I wasn't even thinking that way but now I'm thinking oh I have to set up the the, the uh, I'm actually going to be setting up a feed so someone may actually find this some other way so com wrestling MMA blog news etc Some someone put me out of my misery so long everybody 